0: Hey everybody, it's Anthony Montgomery from Star Trek Enterprise, your friendly neighborhood Travis Mayweather. Hope you guys are wonderful. Take care. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell is on assignment. Tonight we are going to take a look at Star Trek Enterprise and I have a guest co-host for this, an Enterprise fan. It's Chris Johnson and we have not seen or heard from Chris in quite a while, so how's it going, man?
1: <laughs> it's going great, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. I've been
0: a uh, itching to get to this episode for a while and uh just had to find a time to uh to finally make my way through the uh the rest of the series i, I kind of got stuck there for a little bit where uh i started watching the series and and got really interested in it and everything but then uh just life kind of got in the way for a little while but i know we had uh, right after i had seen the episode uh similitude i remember getting in contact with you and i was like damn dude that was great we got to get we got to get together and talk (laughs) enterprise sometime and so this whole show was really your idea because i was just wanting to talk about just that one episode maybe in a in a regular star trek episode of two true freaks and i think it was you that had the idea of hey i'd love to do just a whole episode devoted to you know enterprise as a whole you know by itself which i thought was a great idea now that i finally finished the series uh i I was definitely up for that because uh I've still got it in my system at the moment. I just, I'm like, oh, no, it's over. So <laughs> I was totally up for talking about it. Now, were you a fan of the series right from the get-go?
1: Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I'm not uh, a hardcore Star Trek fan like you and Chris are. I'm more of a casual fan. Uh-huh. And this was actually the first Star Trek series that I watched like from the beginning. Like I had seen uh, a lot of repeats of... Next Generation, I've seen, you know, I saw some Deep Space Nine, some Voyager, some of the original series, but this was the first Star Trek series that I watched, like, from the very first airing of the very first episode up until the end.
0: So you were on it right right as it premiered and and caught it right from the get-go? Yeah. That's cool. Now, what what are your feelings on the other shows, you know, the prior uh, incarnations of Star Trek before seeing this?
1: Um, I like a lot of them. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of Deep Space Nine to really form an opinion on that one. Right. Um, I like the original series. Uh, I've probably seen the most of uh, Next Generation. So I'm more knowledgeable in that area. I really liked what I've seen of Voyager. And I would like to uh, go back and watch that one from the beginning. Uh, because I really got into that whole story, which might be in part because uh, the Borg figured heavily into Voyager and I'm uh, being more closely associated with Next Generation. I'm a bit of a Borg fan so that was part of the reason why I probably latched on to Voyager a lot but also the whole premise of Voyager I think is a really cool one and that's something I want to see from beginning to end at some point.
0: I find uh, a lot of parallels between Voyager and Enterprise and, and one of the nice parallels is that enterprise right about the time that it it really got rolling with uh i would say right about midway through season three and then right through really the rest of the series voyager does much the same thing you know it it just starts to get rolling right around I, i believe it was right toward the tail end of its third season or thereabouts and really gets rolling but then it it is able to finish its run you know it had its full seven years and and went to some really good places and and some very exciting episodes whereas enterprise sadly never got that chance but uh yeah i do find a lot of strong parallels between both of the shows and uh i enjoyed uh voyager quite a bit so i would definitely encourage you to uh you know if you have an interest in that check it out because uh those borg storylines do pay off there's some really really good and exciting stuff with that show as well what, uh, what appealed to you uh, about Enterprise? Was it the, the, the characters or the setting? or
1: You know, I, I think a, a lot of it is, um, there's a couple of things. First, I think it's really cool to see, you know, where everything began. You know, like even beyond, you know, the first series of Star Trek. Seeing, like, first meeting the Klingons, the early uh, interactions with the Vulcans. Um, just a lot of the first contact with some of the species that become predominant within chronologically the later series of star trek and also all these little hints that they threw in towards future events you know going going back from here and hinting at what might be and seeing some of the ancestors of certain characters and all of the you know history that's you know in the series and also, I think a lot of the characters I liked. Also, I thought that for the most part, I enjoyed the cast, and I, you know, liked seeing them. And I thought that they had some really good uh, guest and recurring characters as well. And I also think that um, season three uh, was is probably my favorite season of the series, just because of how connected together everything is, and how it forms this one long story arc throughout the season and all of the character development that most of the characters I think go through a lot of development through that one season and that was really cool to see
0: absolutely absolutely yeah we'll we'll talk here in a moment about uh about season three and and that interlocking storyline because that was one of the things that uh that I really enjoyed most about this but uh I wanted to back up for a moment to what you'd said about the the cast and then also uh Guest stars and guest characters and stuff like that. Um, going just with the with the main cast, uh, let's just kind of run down the list here. Captain Archer, played by Scott Bakula. What, what did you think of him?
1: Uh, I liked him. Uh, I liked uh, seeing him. It kind of it was interesting seeing you know rewatching the show because I did rewatch not all the episodes but a lot of the major points throughout each season. Seeing him kind of comparing him to how Kirk was portrayed in the recent Star Trek movie, kind of how uh, Bakula, like early on, got beat up quite a bit. Yeah. But he also managed to really come around. And also just seeing him progress as a captain. Um, Like we said, like in season three, which I know we're going to get all into the specifics of season three, but just seeing the decisions that he had to make during that season, you know, with the mission that they had to go on and seeing him kind of deal with the responsibilities of being the starship captain you know out in space on this very first you know mission for earth on the starship was really interesting to see his development in that
0: one of the things i did as as prep for this show tonight was i went back and watched all the extras on each season you know at the end of each season there there would be all the uh the bonus features and, and uh, most of them had a, a season recap and it was funny to me to realize how much of the entire series uh, Captain Archer spent with like blood or a bruise or <laughs> a black eye or something on his right eye or excuse me his left eye so it was just cracked me up so he definitely I, I think he owed back to the Kirk model Yeah. But what I liked about him, it's hard for me to rank the captains other than Sisko... because Sisko is my absolute least favorite. I just don't, I really can't stand that character. But the other ones, I find strengths and weaknesses in all of them. And Archer's a tough one for me to place because I really, really like him, but it's tough to pigeonhole him too because he's definitely got the Kirk thing going on. Because that, that's the first thing that you see and the first thing you noticed with him is you know the parallels with Kirk. But he also has a lot of the sensibilities of someone like Picard, you know, to where, yeah, he, you know, he's uh, able to hold his own and he can get into the good two-fisted fights and all that. But at the same rate, he had a a certain sensibility about him, too, that that wasn't always his first choice or his first response.
1: Right. He had a lot of decisions that he had to mull over
0: throughout
1: the show, that he had to... Decide if what he was doing was right or wrong in certain situations.
0: Right. Yeah, I, re- I liked that. I liked that we saw him really struggle, not only to make some of the decisions, but then a lot of times we saw him struggle with the consequence- consequences of tough decisions that he had to make. And I liked that because that was, you know, as much as I love Captain Kirk and he's one of my childhood heroes, that was one of the things that I think is lacking from Captain Kirk's character is that he would make decisions sometimes that I can imagine as in my mind must have had terrible consequences yet we never really saw him struggle or, or really have to, uh, to deal with those consequences other than, you know, he might have to refight a bad guy like Khan or something like that, but not struggle with like the moral dilemma type of thing. And, uh, I guess that could be said to be a, a a real strength of Kirks, but at the same rate it, it it never really allows you to to see a side of his personality either that's that's sort of a, a side of him that's closed off that was wide open with Archer you know that we that we saw yeah. the 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 man underneath struggle
1: something else i I thought of him when you were talking about him getting beaten up is how he got captured a lot and just the attitude he had whenever he got captured, just the swagger he'd have. And he'd be, like, joking with one of his captors, and they'd beat him up, and he'd just keep on messing with him. Just, that's one of my favorite bits with Archer, whenever he got captured, was just how he just kind of took it in stride. And even though he might get beat up, he was still just, like, taunting his <laughs> captors.
0: Now, I've got a list of the, the main cast here in no particular order. It was just where I pulled them off of some website, uh, just, to, just to have a list of them and the uh, people that played them. So the next one um, on my list is actually on kind of the complete other end of the spectrum for me personally would be uh, Dr. Phlox, as played mm-hmm. by John Billingsley. Now, I like John Billingsley. I think he's a fine actor, and this is no uh, slight against him at all, but I just didn't like the character of Phlox. I don't know what Oh, it really? Was. Yeah, I, I really I, I don't know why. I just never really warmed to, to the character at all, other than, uh, you know, there were moments you know of course with, with every character even even the worst of characters
1: at their one moment can
0: have their moment yeah yeah and and so there were moments with with Flocks that i like it's not that i think he's a bad character it's just one of those characters that i just never really warmed to and, and every series ha- seems to have at least one character like that you know like like with next gen for example it would be uh Troy and Geordie I just found to be kind of like, eh, you know? I don't yeah. I don't like them or dislike them. They're just kind of there and don't ever seem to really have much of a function. And that was what for me in a, to a certain degree. But, uh, I mean, what did, what did you think of him?
1: Oh, I, he's one of my favorites, actually. Um, I just kind of liked his kind of... He had a very optimistic sense about him. And also, I guess I kind of liked also John Billingsley, Billingsley's inflection when he was speaking. I, I just kind of like that. I can understand how that might be a little bit annoying, but I thought that he just kind of added a little bit of fun to the to the show because I think that Enterprise could get very, very dark yes. at times. And I think that he added a sort of lightness to the show, like with his little creatures that he'd just be randomly feeding one of them. Um, and I, I think that He also got uh, a couple of really nice moments, like we were talking about. Like, um, there's that one early in uh, Season 1, that one episode where we basically just spend the entire episode with him and from his point of view. Right. Right. That's one of my favorites, just because of getting to see, you know, what a day in the life of one of these characters is, that kind of episode. And I also think that he being, you know, another alien species from humans having that element on the ship in addition to, uh, you know, to Paul being a Vulcan on the ship, just adding another alien to the crew and getting his perspective on certain things and kind of the alien culture that his uh, species in the show, kind of bringing that viewpoint to the table just like we usually get, like, the Vulcan viewpoint from Paul, just having that extra viewpoint brought into things.
0: I think maybe because although watching it now I was able to get past a lot of my, my original impressions and a lot of the original things that uh, eventually caused me to stop watching Enterprise as it was actually airing because I did start watching the show when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched the pilot and I watched through about the first season and a half.
1: Oh, what was your show. reaction when they announced it?
0: uh i was i had a lot of trepidation you i know, could see that. I, I wasn't i wasn't like one of these guys you'll see on forums or something that was like oh this is gonna suck and oh this is terrible i wasn't like right. that but as a hardcore classic star trek fan i naturally had a lot of trepidation about it because i saw where there was great potential to have a lot of fun and do really cool stories and 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 really uh uh pay homage and respect to classic Trek. And then I saw the opposite end of the spectrum. I saw there was a great potential to fuck it all up, you know, and, and counter, um, continuity and things like that. And one of the things that, that made me weigh on the side of, I'm not going to like this was I still feel that, uh, and I don't want to tangent this off too much on a discussion of this, but I still feel like Star Trek, um, first contact <laughs> the the whole thing with Zephram Cochran is a stumbling block I simply can't get past. And since so much of the beginning of this show was built off of that, with uh, I can't remember that actor's name, but uh, James Cromwell. Cromwell, thank you. Yeah, with his thing with uh, Cochran and, and all that, and, and kind of basically really picking up the story. You know, not too many years past the events. Um, in the early 21st century as portrayed in, in First Contact, that was right off the bat one of the things that was like, yeah, I don't know about that, you know? But you were you, know, you were saying with the flocks thing, I think that's maybe one of those things, and I don't know if it was conscious or subconscious, that kind of put me off from him was the fact that uh, he was another alien on the Enterprise. And in Kirk's day, I, I don't know that I'm that I'm right on this, but I always had the impression that Spock was the only alien on the ship, at least during the original series. Now, like by the time of star Trek, the motion picture, I mean, they had a very diverse alien crew on the ship. It wasn't all just, you know, humans and, and the one Vulcan, but you know, during the the course of the three years, it was on TV in the sixties. I I'm almost positive Spock was the the only one. And so adding the flocks character in there should have been really cool and I should have really enjoyed that that fact that yeah there's another guy but I, I couldn't get past the fact that it, it felt like that counter continuity thing to me you know like they, they were doing something that they shouldn't do okay. so and and so that was one of those stumbling blocks that that was always really hard for me to get past but the nice thing about watching this now you know especially since the the JJ Abrams movie is that it's kind of like going back and looking at Uh, the Spider-Man clone saga. You know, you might have hated it when it was happening, but now you go back and look at it after things that have happened with Spider-Man since, and you go, you know, maybe this wasn't so bad after all. And that's kind of how I look at Enterprise now, is that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been so anal retentive about the little things, because look at the big thing that happened later on. So... That that's kind of my approach to this in a certain way, at least for the first two seasons. But then you know, with season three, then the show just simply got great. You know, to, yeah. m- to my mind. So, um, well, moving along uh, to Paul. What what do you think of uh, Jolene Blaylock as uh, as to Paul?
1: I think she's easily one of the best characters on the show. I think just looking at her journey, uh, the character of to Paul throughout the show, just seeing her initially brought on as the very stoic rigid vulcan you know applying logic to every situation and kind of clashing with how humans would deal with some situations and that kind of clash and then going into uh her warming up to the crew and warming up to being on the enterprise and then when we get to season three where uh that uh infection happens where She starts to feel emotions again when she's suppressed them and begins to lose control and her coming out of that and also her relationship with Trip uh, that we see progress through the seasons. I think that she really grew as a character and they could have just kept her as that Vulcan that was, you know, bringing logic to everything and keeping her that same kind of one dimensional character. Um, throughout the show but they didn't and they gave her new things to do and added new layers to her character and i really like that
0: i did too it, to me it's another one of those parallels between this show and voyager is that um i believe that jerry ryan despite anything you might hear about the show i really firmly believe that she was brought to that show as I candy yeah. <laughs> and I think that Jolene Blaylock in a lot of ways was was brought to Enterprise the same way. But what I like about both women is that they were able to overcome that and they weren't simply there as as something to, to you know that was nice to look at. They were legitimate characters. You know, they were they were fine yeah. actresses and they really brought something to the series other than just TNA. I think that's great. Because for one thing Jolene Blaylock to me, I mean, she she's got a fine body and all, but I'm not terribly attracted to her. So she failed. She would have failed if she was simply just eye candy. But the fact that she could act and and bring a sensibility to that character and make that character somebody that you really liked and really cared about well, was a real plus for the show. Uh, she she definitely uh, yeah. paralleled uh, Seven of Nine to me in in that respect. One one character that uh, surprised me how much I came to really like him, because I can remember watching this originally um, as it was airing until I stopped watching it, the one character I really couldn't stand. But then on this rewatch, I was like, you know, he's actually pretty cool. Once you get to know him was uh, uh, Malcolm Reed, the Mm -hmm. security officer. He was actually pretty cool.
1: Yeah, you know, um, maybe it's because I didn't. Get to rewatch like the whole series like you did, and I only I skipped around a little bit, but I didn't really get to connect with this character. I think just uh-huh. on my rewatching of this, and I do like him. I think he has a good personality. I think there are a couple Malcolm moments I can pick out, but he wasn't a character that I really got to see a lot of. You know, rewatching it. Right. But I do like him. Like he's not. He's not one of my favorite characters, and he's not my least favorite character by any stretch of the imagination. He's, he's someone I just like being there because uh, I really like his kind of – he could get really sarcastic at times, I think. Yeah. And uh, that I really liked about having that element on the show, and that I really liked about him. So, yeah, he's a good character by me.
0: Well, you know, so many people talk about uh, Tucker, you know, Trip, as being the everyman character in the show. But in some respects, I think Reed also kind of carries that because one of the things I really liked him was the storyline where they brought the Makos on board and he butted heads with the head Mako guy. And they just did not get along because I saw that as being very human and very realistic that, you know, that was one of the things that while Roddenberry was firmly in control of next gen was something that he would not allow to happen was – conflict within the cast you know you never saw Riker get pissed with Picard or, or something like that and it wasn't until right around like uh well I guess it was really with best of both worlds where that commander who was kind of gunning for Riker's job you know the yeah. two of them butted heads and had a real problem with each other that was to my mind anyway that's the first time you really see serious conflict between two Starfleet officers so I liked it in this that Reed wasn't above feeling like that son of a bitch is gunning for my job. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm right here. I'm in command. This is my job. And I, I just found that to be a real human and very realistic portrayal, you know, a real human thing to do rather than just be, oh, I'm perfectly all right with you bossing my people around. Because there are times that Star Trek, as much as I love it, can be really hokey. In things like yeah. that, where everybody I think that's just with any along. science
1: fiction, it can be hokey.
0: Yeah, you know when when everybody just gets along and they're all <laughs> happy and everything. I, I love it when they do stuff like this. That is very realistic. Where these guys just didn't get along, and uh, yep. and I think that was cool.
1: Yeah, I think that was his best moment. Yeah, as a character, because they established that really early on. Like, now there's this friction between them, and then they kept it up throughout the season. Yep. And they have that one uh, bit where they just go at each other. Yep, which was great. Um, and uh, them getting dressed down by Archer <laughs> after that was that was great. So I, I think that was probably where Malcolm shone the brightest for me as a character. Just that little, and that that's what I like going back to what I said earlier about season three, how all the characters got a shining moment in that season. I think, mm-hmm. and that was definitely uh, Malcolm's
0: yo you're, you're right about that that that's another thing that I, I guess I hadn't really thought about too much but you're absolutely right is that uh I think this is one of the better Star Trek series as far as like all of the characters really shining and everybody seems to get their moment you don't see that on on all of the star treks some do it better than others and I think this one does it very well with everybody you know all seven of the of the core cast getting their time in the in the sun i I like that as well we got uh travis mayweather as played by anthony montgomery and i really liked his character because to me i saw him as like almost like the wesley crusher that works you know yes
1: very much so yeah yes
0: because he brings that that you know he's the kid of the crew he's got the the bright-eyed enthusiasm and and the Uh, positivity and all that but he's never annoying about it he's actually everything wesley should have been you know he he's the guy that that's positive and and you like him you know he's just a a good friendly upbeat character most all the time I, i thought that was really cool
1: he's a nice contrast to archer who's you know been in starfleet for a while and you know is has experience gone through like the experience you know he's he's still you know captaining the starship for the first time but he's been there you know but mayweather is like this very new to the whole uh starfleet experience type of character and that's a nice contrast to in terms of experience between the two and seeing that
0: i liked his backstory i liked the fact that He was uh, what did they call it a a boomer? I think they called it.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um,
0: You know, he was uh, a child of spaceships. You know, he had been born on a spaceship. You know, considered a spaceship his home because his parents were what were they? They were like space truckers or something,
1: something like that.
0: And I liked that that he you know he was one of those kids at a time in human spaceflight history where that was still a relatively novel concept a, a still a relatively new idea kids that had actually been born on you know on a star or on a spaceship out in space plying the space lanes I, I just I liked that because'm I'm, I'm a real sucker for like the, like Apollo, you know, like early space flight history, like Gemini and mm-hmm. Apollo and stuff like that. And that's one of the strengths of this show. That's one of the, the ways this show really spoke to me is that they were really cashing in on that feeling, you know, people that remembered the, the early days of, of you know um, the American space program and all that. And I really caught that vibe that, you know, that that's what they were going for with. It's one of the reasons I give the opening credits of the show. Such a, a wide pass that other people don't. Other people really, really hate yeah. that opening. And while I, can I see how
1: people hate it, yeah, I, oh,
0: I, <laughs> I definitely can. I, I, I still think it should be scored rather than than have that that song in there. But even you know going past the the song, just the visuals. You know they're they're showing yeah. Chuck Yeager. And uh, uh, Al Shepard, you know, Al Shepard, guys like that, you know, the early days of space flight and the Wright brothers and, uh, you know, the Mars lander and stuff like that. So right from the pilot, that was one of the things I latched onto and thought, OK, I, I see where you're going with this and, and thought that was really cool. And we'll go we'll go back to that because there's I have feelings about that, too. I feel like very quickly <laughs> that was almost abandoned, you know, and it was like they, they had to constantly be reminded, oh, yeah, we're, we're supposed to be doing this. But uh, let's see, let's round out the crew here. We got uh, probably my least favorite character of, of this cast was uh, Hoshi.
1: Yeah, which I think is sad because uh, I don't think she got a lot to do,
0: really. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't really put my finger on it because, again, it's not that I think that Linda Park is like... You know some horrible actress or she's right. hideous to look at her and i you know rather the opposite. i think she's a fine looking woman i think she's a good actress it's just the character just never really did a whole lot for me there were some episodes that really worked but uh
1: the end of season three i think yeah when uh she gets captured by the zindi that was yeah. probably the best moment she had i think
0: yeah you're right yeah i can't uh i forgot to put it on my list i, I made a list that we'll we'll probably get to eventually of uh Favorite and least favorite episodes. I can't remember the name of the episode, but there was one that was pretty much a Hoshi episode where she was kind of wigging out. She was, like, passing through objects and stuff. And I think I'm, like, Vanishing Point. That could be it, yeah. Didn't care for that one because it, it felt like a rehash of something we'd seen before in Star Trek. And mm-hmm. I thought that one was a really weak episode. But going from Hoshi... Probably my very favorite character on the whole show was uh, was Tucker, uh, Tri- Yep,
1: I'm I, right there with you. Yeah,
0: he's great, man. And I think, <laughs> really, mo- most of it I think is really owed to uh, Connor Trenier that played him. He,
1: I just like him. I think he's a good Oh, guy. yeah. He, he's funny. He is. Just his whole, he, he's kind of like a, a cowboy. I think just his whole attitude, coupled with his accent
0: yeah I, I I get a real kick out of him because I I think he he incorporates the best qualities of several different Star Trek characters you know he's he's kind of got the say anything gruff southern style of of Dr. McCoy mm-hmm. but then imposed over somebody like uh I was gonna say Scotty but actually I, th- I think a little bit more like like Geordie because Geordie kind of had that thing going on too to where he could be irreverent, you know. There there were times where in meetings he would just say things that the other characters wouldn't say.
1: Yeah. You know?
0: And and I got a kick out of that how he was uh, you know, the the guy that would just spout things off and not really think about it too much. I, I liked that. And I liked that sensibility with with Trip that he was just a tell it like it is kind of guy, very very down to earth. And, uh, you know, I don't see... Other than I know Scott Bakula is on a new show now with Raymond from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. I can't think of what the name of that show is, but...
1: Men of a certain age.
0: Yeah, that's it. Do you see these guys working much? Because, uh... No, I haven't. That's such a shame. I saw John Billingsley on one of those law shows not long ago. I don't know which one it was. And he was playing kind of a scumbag character on there, if I remember right.
1: He had a great, uh... Two episode stint as a serial killer on Cold Case.
0: Maybe that's what it was. See. Yeah, that might have been what I saw. I, I could just I can remember something where he was in. I want to say he was like in a courtroom or something, but I could be wrong. But I just remember flipping channels or something, and catching him and watching whatever it was.
1: It's basically the complete opposite of the character of Flocks, but he played <laughs> it really well.
0: And uh, Connor Trinneer, I remember seeing him on at least one episode. Of uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, where he was playing like a like a country sheriff type of thing. I think it was uh, only one episode, though. I don't think it was like a significant role or anything, but it was just nice to see him and and see some
1: Malcolm on heroes and like. Oh yeah. Two. Oh cool! I but saw I him in a
0: commercial a... not long ago. I can't remember what oh, the really? commercial was, but I saw him in some commercial not long ago. And... You know, I
1: think it's a very. They're very good actors and actresses, you know, and I think it's a shame that they don't seem to have the prominent roles like they did, you know, on Enterprise, you know, on some other series.
0: Well, I actually got to meet um, Anthony Montgomery at uh, Dragon Con last fall. Oh, really? Yeah, I forget what he said he was doing, but uh, he was just a hell of a nice guy. Really, you know, really just like his character, really, really upbeat, really positive, big smile on his face, happy to meet people, <laughs> very friendly and, uh, you know, just just an all around uh really nice guy to talk to and, and meet and everything. But he uh, he did say that he was working and keeping busy and all. I just can't remember at the moment what he said he was doing. It wasn't anything Star Trek related or anything like that. I don't even think it was on television at the moment but i could be wrong i think it was something to do with the theater or something like that but uh but yeah i'd love to see these guys you know getting steady work because i think they're all really you know really good actors and actresses now is there anybody in the in like the secondary cast, you know guest stars or recurring characters or anything like that, that that you really latched on to or that really blew you away like guest shots or something like that
1: um just as far as recurring characters go uh, Jeffrey Combs as Shran. Yeah, He's one of my favorite characters. Like every, like when I was rewatching episodes of Enterprise to prepare for this, I made sure that I got every single episode he appeared on because I loved his character.
0: He was awesome. One of the the extras on it must have been in the fourth season. I think it was one of the text commentaries that you can that you can watch. Yeah. Said something about they were kicking around the idea if the show had gotten renewed for a fifth season that shran might have actually joined enterprise as a crew member, which would have been yeah. really interesting. You know, if, if that it,
1: bums me out that it got canceled and we didn't get Shran like every episode, cause it would have been awesome.
0: I know. I really, really came to like him because I remember, uh, you know, coming back to this and, and starting to, to watch it. I remember reading somewhere or seeing somewhere how he had become one of the favorite characters and I was like, really? That guy? But then as I watched the series, it, it hit me. that Because you know, in his first couple of appearances, I, you couldn't really see it. He was just bad guy and yeah. week, But then eventually, he, they fleshed him out as a, as a real character. And I liked the, the friendship that he forged with Archer. I thought it was very believable and very yeah. realistic that these two guys would, would be friends. You know, would, would become close.
1: And it was gradual, too. Yeah. Like, each episode he showed on, they got you could see the friendship between the two of them get forged stronger and stronger, which I really liked seeing that progress. That's something I think that Enterprise was good with, is I think some of their overarching storylines were handled really well in how they were uh, done with and how they progressed things, you know, a little bit at a time. And it was very believable and realistic seeing how these relationships grew.
0: It was nice with with Shran also is that, you know, much like my feelings with, like, Flocks and John Billingsley, I remember watching Jeffrey Coombs as Yun and Brunt on DS9 and going, wow, I really like this actor, he's really good, but God, I hate this character that he's playing. <laughs> and so it was nice to finally see him again and see him play a character, okay, this time I liked the character he was playing, and so it was a win-win. You know, you liked the yeah. actor and you liked the character because... I I like that I have that ability to be able to separate, you know, even if I don't like a character, I can still appreciate, you know, the the acting job that went into it, so it was nice to see him do a character I really did enjoy this time around. I think Um,
1: the great thing about Jeffrey Coombs is he was able to handle, like, all the aspects to Shran. You had, like, his really tough, hateful side when it came to the Balkans. We got his more open and personal side when we saw that relationship he had with one of his crew members later on in the show. Yeah. And just, um, and uh, also with Archer, how he and Archer. Well, okay, now we're square. Okay, now I owe you something. Okay, now you owe me. Just that whole back and forth—that's one of my favorite recurring bits—is just how they each keep owing the other, and they become square, and then you know the other one owes the other a favor. Just, just I, I just love his character, just because of how complex he was, even though he was a guest star.
0: I liked too that it finally added some shading to—no uh, pun intended—to the Andorians. Who you know? They're a classic Star Trek. I was going to say villain, not really a villain, but just race. You know, uh, race of aliens. The the one time that we really saw the most of them was in uh, in a classic episode where they were kind of the alien, or uh, excuse me, the villain. Um, but it was nice to see uh, that fleshed out. You know, and we got to learn. You know, every every race in Star Trek is is stereotyped to a certain degree, you know, the Klingons are the aggressive warlike guys, you know, the Vulcans right. are the logical people, you know, the, the Tellarites are the pig guys, and it was <laughs> nice to learn what the stereotype was for the Andorians, you know, that they were the the warlike people that came from the ice planet and all that, and so that was really cool to, to, to get that filled in and learn so much about them, because I really liked the, the story where they actually went back to Andoria. And they were looking for like the telepaths, people or whatever, and and that was just really cool. It really added in a whole dimension to that race that, at least for me, was something new. It was a whole other side to them that I'd never known of. And I think we got that with with you know a few of the other races, but it was particularly interesting with the Andorians because I just always had a a fondness for them. Anyway, they just look cool, <laughs> you know. Yeah, the, they do with the antenna and all that. I think that they're just a really interesting uh, species. So it was cool to see one as a regular recurring character. Other than just guest shots, the only other recurring character that I really warmed to was, and I'm not, sh- I, I don't know the actor's name that played him, but the character of Degra. Oh yeah, I liked him a lot. And what yeah. was cool was I liked that you know he starts as a villain. And he's like the guy, you know, he's, he's right. like the big guy that they're going after. But by the end of that character, he was like one of their staunchest allies. And yeah, I thought that, that was really good.
1: Yeah, their of view yeah. and that whole Zindi complex That was a really nice turn.
0: It was. And I really liked him. And, uh, and I really felt for what happened to him because I had a nasty feeling. Oh, yeah. When that whole story started to play out. And the Zindi started to to have to choose sides among yeah. their own people. I just had the worst feeling. Oh man, something's something's going to happen to this guy. He's not long for this world. And sure enough, and I, I felt so bad when it happened. I was like,
1: no, I liked that character. I yeah, really didn't
0: he, want to see something bad happen to him.
1: Just the way that he went from a villain to an ally—that just really went a long way to making his death feel important when he finally died.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it was sad. I, I would have rather have seen him stick around, or, <laughs> or something like that. But it, I guess it, it it works toward the type of story that they were telling. You know, he he was working to redeem himself, and and that sort of. I liked that aspect that he wasn't just the evil scientist. You know, who's you know. Rubbing his hands together and (laughs) laughing gleefully as worlds are destroyed, that he had come to realize that his invention was being used to do a horrible, terrible thing, and I I liked that a lot. Um,
1: Another recurring character, um, the one Vulcan ambassador. I cannot remember.
0: Oh, Saval?
1: Yes, Saval.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that guy was such a bastard. <laughs> but was, a lot like but... Degra, though, by the end of the series, you'd kind of come to like him. Or at least I did. I came to kind of respect him by the end of the show.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think he... Because early, very early on, it was like the message of the show was that Vulcans are dicks. Yep. Just like the whole thing. And also just the relations between Archer. He he was constantly butting heads with the you know Vulcan command. And especially uh, Saval. But... Also, like all the uh, like a lot of the other characters, we got to see their relationship grow. But it's kind of like Shran, where they got a grudging respect between the two of them as the series went on.
0: You know, although I'm sure that Saval would be able to to take care of himself and all that, tell me that you didn't want to see Archer take a swing at him just one time. In, yeah. in the early days, because...
1: That would have been refreshing, because yeah, he, he certainly deserved it on a couple of occasions.
0: Because I think it was the very first episode, wasn't it, where he said something yeah. about... Uh, Saval calls him out and says something about his lack of control or something. He goes, oh, really? He goes, you don't know how how, how hard I'm holding myself back from yes. knocking you on your ass right now, or something to that effect, and I just I it was like, yeah, that's great, man.
1: <laughs> I think his biggest moment of bastarditude was... Um, after the Zindi conflict, when he was giving him a bunch of crap about uh, that one Vulcan uh, ship that they didn't save. After Archer had just saved the entire planet Earth. And here he is giving him a bunch of crap and trying to get a rise out of him.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that was great. Because it was tension-filled. Because you yeah. could see the look on Archer's face that he was growing more and more... You know, upset with the with the direction of that inquiry, and you could see the wheels turning in his head, going, "Wait a minute! Did I not just save the whole freaking planet? Yeah, exactly. And and they're going to give me shit about this decision that was really hard for me to make. You know, this this terrible sacrifice. And yeah, that was awesome. I I really really liked that. But that was also the beginning of of him and Saval kind of smoothing things out because I think it it was that in that same episode at the end where he says something to Saval, and that's where Saval finally, his facade breaks, and he tells him, you know, on the contrary, you know, I really respect you, yeah, and and all that. And I I liked that moment. I thought that was nice that uh, it was probably, in the world of Star Trek, it was probably a little unrealistic, because Vulcans are typically played as you know they're not just emotionless but a lot of times they seem a little bit oblivious or or unsympathetic to the emotions of people that that do wear their emotions on their sleeve so it's probably a little unrealistic right. for him to apologize or extend you know the the olive branch of friendship but at the same rate realistic or not i really liked that moment and i felt it was needed to where you finally saw you know this guy isn't just the complete dick character, he does have a whole other side to his personality. You know, I, I like yeah. it, redeemed him all at one time in that moment, and I thought that was really, really nice. I loved seeing Clancy Brown in that one episode just because I really like Clancy Brown anytime I get to see him. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. He was like a I don't even know how to describe him, he's almost like a I was going to say like a space pirate. He wasn't really so much a space pirate. He was just kind of a rogue kind of thing. And I, I got a kick out of that. Um, Red bre- Spinner. Yeah. Playing yeah. Uh, playing uh, an ancestor of, of Dr. Soong. That was great. And he was such a bastard too. That was really cool.
1: <laughs> just his, his whole attitude. Like as soon as they bring him on the ship. And he's like permission to come aboard captain. It's just yep. like his whole. I, I loved how. Brent Spinner played that, just his whole attitude, and he's completely different from Data. Yep. Like that
0: me. yeah.
1: Okay. I think that shows how good an actor Brent Spinner is. Is that he gives it a portrayal that, as soon as you think of Brent Spinner, you'd think of Data, just because of you know how long that character was around and what you know how. Big that character was, but as soon as you know you see him on screen as this completely different character, you don't think of Data anymore because he plays a character that's completely different from him and plays it well.
0: Yeah, I I thought that that was fantastic, and I and not only did I like his acting job and the character he portrayed, I liked the story they were telling.
1: Yeah, that was a great story. It,
0: yeah, it was. It was. It was a piece of. Space Seed and Wrath of Khan without being any sort of prequel or sequel or tie-in or whatever. It was like on the periphery of the Khan story, and I loved it. I thought that was one of the best uh, storylines in Enterprise, honestly. I really, really enjoyed that. And I loved where they took it later on as using that as, uh, as part of the reasoning for the Smoothing out of the of the Klingon features and all that. I, I mean, mm-hmm. that that was great, and it, it I think it worked brilliantly. That it didn't seem like a stretch, or it didn't seem like they were reaching. You know, I mean that at, they were at a point where I don't even think that they owed the fans anything as far as actually trying to explain away that discrepancy. You know, with the original series having you know human looking Klingons, but every other series had the turtle head Klingons. Yeah. I think we'd all kind of come to accept the DS9 explanation, which was you know when Worf just kind of joked that, oh, we don't talk talk about about it. it. I loved that, and I was perfectly content with that explanation, but they went the extra mile and not only gave us one, but I think they gave us an awesome one. I really liked it. I thought it was a brilliant stroke. The last guest character I can really think of, I can't remember the actual character's name, but uh, I was blown away by the actor's performance, was uh, Peter Weller. Robocop as that uh, scumbag. Uh, God, I don't even know what you would describe it. It's like a corporate businessman guy that was behind the whole movement to get aliens thrown out of our solar system. That was another uh, really good storyline, I thought. But he just, he played that character so well that he was just a complete dirtbag. I loved it.
1: Uh, I don't think I rewatched that one. Oh, okay. So it's not coming to mind not fresh. Unfortunately. unfortunately, oh no that's yeah.
0: cool man because i'm i'm much more f- familiar with uh with the last half of season three and all of season four because i just watched it within like the past couple weeks and i'm <laughs> i'm now a little bit fuzzy on the on the first two seasons because that was a while ago for me but uh so that's cool this is all just uh, off the top of our heads and nobody's gonna <laughs> quiz us on it so with that Let's take a brief little break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about the seasons and some of our favorite moments and episodes and all that sort of thing.
1: No Line Radio presents... The battle is joy.
0: Keep firing, Chewie, or this whole planet is doomed, not to mention us. The cost is rising.
1: Solo! Stay away from her, you monster.
0: And the worst... Look out! ...is yet to come. My people, they're running! If we were smart, so would we.
1: Vengeance. What lies ahead,
0: only one
1: knows. (laughs) For the galaxy, their time is up. You used to be a good man.
0: Desperation brings out the darkest side of all on natures. Please, he will kill me! And the future foretells
1: death. You are skilled at running, but not skilled enough. You're getting my help, whether you want it or not. Never send a man out to do a rabbit's job. You! Find a
0: way to bring down that monster!
1: Our hyperdrive is overloading! Shut down the drive! Running away while my entire
0: family dies? Your life is
1: Yeah! Star
0: Wars Marvels Desperate Measures
1: One of the defining moments of Better in the Dark was Episode 12 what made Haddon feel great when Tom DJ reviewed and discussed all eight of the Halloween films at the time. It was the longest episode at that moment, and also was an experience that broke him utterly. Now, in May of 2010, it's Derek's turn. (laughs) Say what now? You do got what it takes. This May, Derek Ferguson tackles the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yes, even the one with Roseanne Barr. That's right, folks. For your enjoyment, your edification, and your eternal gratitude,
0: I am going to take the plunge and I am going to attempt to encapsulate
1: the entire history of Nightmare on Elm Street, the series that gave us Freddy Krueger. That knife-wieldy maniac who turned from a rabid, hideous child killer into a chuckling.
0: <laughs> sadistic anti-hero <laughs> that we all grew to love and admire that's right I'm going to do it all eight Nightmare on Elm Street movies leading up
1: to the remake that's going to be coming out with Jackie Earl Haley as the new Freddy Krueger Better in the Dark What Made Springfield Famous coming soon for Earth2.net and BITDSite.com Every town has an Elm Street Godzilla King of the Monsters Fantastic beyond comprehension,
0: gripping beyond compare,
1: astounding beyond belief, the mightiest monster of them all, See godzilla King of the Monsters. Well, it's big and terrible, more frightening than I ever thought possible.
0: SOS, 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 this is Tokyo SOS, a Godzilla podcast. We are dedicated to reviewing every Godzilla movie ever made. From a good, like Gojira, Godzilla, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, and GMK, to the bad, like Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, and Godzilla vs. Megagarius. We'll even review the reviled abomination that is the 1998
1: American Godzilla.
0: Along with all other things Godzilla.
1: So if you're looking for a good stomping time with your favorite 150 foot tall king of the monsters,
0: come on over and listen to the Tokyo SOS podcast.
1: You can find us on iTunes by
0: searching Tokyo SOS and please drop us a line at TokyoSOSPodcast at gmail.com So remember fans ride! eat Godzilla! okay welcome back to our enterprise special and uh we're just going to kind of talk generally enterprise and kind of generally season by season thoughts, impressions, that sort of thing. So, uh, starting right off season one, what did you think?
1: Uh, I think the first two seasons are a bit hidden you know, I think they were kind of finding their footing and I think they were, uh, one of the things I do like about the early seasons is the whole idea of this, uh, temporal cold war that mm-hmm. they established. Uh, I thought that was a really cool idea because i'm a sucker for time travel and just the idea of a cold war in time i thought was great yeah and seeing that and i think that it's kind of like a normal season with season one and two i think you've got your good episodes you've got your bad episodes you've got kind of your middle of the road episodes uh, I, I think at season three and four by contrast i think there's a lot more depth to those two than the early seasons
0: absolutely Absolutely. That, that's pretty much what I have in my notes as well, because uh, watching the show as it was airing, I, I left, I was thinking it was actually mid-season season two, but I think it was actually pretty early season two, because I think the only thing that kept me coming back for the second season was that the first season ended on a cliffhanger. And it was actually a yeah. pretty, pretty awesome cliffhanger, because it involved oh, yeah. you know, the, the, the Cold War you were talking about, and it left... Um, I almost said Riker, <laughs> <laughs> Archer, rather, stranded in uh, the far, far distance, post some horrible disaster future, stranded there with uh, with Daniels, and I really liked that, and I wanted to see how it played out, and so you know I watched the season opener for for two, and then I believe, I'm pretty sure it's the second episode. One of my favorite episodes of the entire series, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of my favorite Star Trek episodes of any series was Carbon Creek. Yeah. I loved that episode and, and just thought it was fantastic. For, you know, For anybody that hasn't seen it or, or isn't familiar with the name of that episode, it basically, in short, that was the episode where T'Pol tells a, a flashback story of her great-grandmother being the commander of an expedition that came to Earth in the 50s to investigate Earth right after Sputnik was launched. And they have an accident, and they crash, and it becomes the story of these three Vulcans, uh, two males and one female, basically having to integrate into so- you know, American society in this small Pennsylvania, what is this, like a coal mining town or something?
1: Yeah, it's a coal mine town.
0: In In the 50s. And it was great. It was such a good episode. It was really, really solid. And so that kept me watching for a while. But like you say, the season... If those first two seasons were so hit and miss, and one of my problems with this show right out of the gate was that I just felt like it was the same old thing. There's so many episodes in this that if you had been watching... Because somebody pointed out in one of the DVDs that, you know... Granted, some of the shows ran concurrently. You know, like uh, there were seasons of of Enter- uh, excuse me of Next Gen that were happening at the same time. DS9 was on, and then vice versa. There were seasons of Voyager that were happening while DS9 was still on the air. But still, if you if you break those shows all down to how many seasons they ran, by the time we got to Enterprise, they were in like their twenty something season. So they'd been running a long time. So, you know, I I try to give them a pass as far as, like, story ideas and not repeating themselves, but it just felt like a lot of the first two seasons of Enterprise, some of the premises that they would have, okay, this is the episode where blah 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 happens, you're like, oh, I saw that on Next Gen, or I saw that on DS9, or, well, they did something similar to that in Voyager, and I just felt like they were retreading a lot of the same territory, so that's why I eventually tuned out, but, you know, having now watched the whole series. Three season three is where everything happens. Yeah, because they realized they were in trouble, and they realized that they got approved for the third season on a on a whim, you know, on a a shoestring. That they had to shake things up and and find the awesome, or they weren't going to (laughs) survive. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And they came up with that story, you know that that basically the entire season would be. One arc, you know, one telling one storyline, and they went into the expanse and came up with the whole Zindi thing, and holy shit, did it pay off? It it's great. There's very few clunkers in that third season.
1: Yeah, I think that if they had, because like like I said, I think that a lot of the overarching relationships with the characters were handled really well, and I think that the characters did get developed really well. But I think that if they had just had Season 1 be, like, the ground-building season... And then, because Season 1 and 2 are very... They feel very similar. They feel interchangeable. Like, Season 3 is the whole Zindi arc. And then you get Season 4, which is really a lot of two- and three-parters... That are these really kind of big stories with a couple of uh, one-offs in between. And I think that if they had, like... Maybe if they had brought, like, the temporal Cold War to the forefront in Season 2, and, like, maybe not have had, like, a season-long arc like Season 3, but at least had that be more recurring, you know, throughout it. Like, something to make Season 2 cohesive, because you know, Season... Like, we like we all have a... Uh, I know that we'll, we'll probably have... I do have some episodes I really like out of Season 1 and 2, but I think that when we get to Season 3, a lot that we'll talk about that we liked. But Season 1 and 2 just kind of feel... You know, by the numbers,
0: right? Very much so. That that's that's really my problem with the, those two is like you say, by the numbers is a perfect way to describe it because that really does feel like what it was. Because you know, you've got that, like I said before, that great opening sequence. You know, despite the theme that they play or the song <laughs> that they play, that opening sequence. That that to me, it's like you, you're you're giving the you know the opening part of any show to me is. You're, this is what you're telling the audience your show is about. This is the promise you're giving them of what they're going to see. And so we're seeing this setup of, you know, exploration and adventure and going out there. And after the pilot, I felt like that never really happened.
1: Yeah, it felt that, just kind of like a standard Star Trek episode afterward. Yeah,
0: episodes yeah I, I didn't get a sense of we were you know, boldly going and exploring, you know, new worlds and civilizations, I felt like, okay, we're going here, you know, we're doing this. And it became a lot of the same things that we saw in the later seasons of Next Gen, where, you know, we're helping out these dudes because their engines are broke, or, you know, we're (laughs) settling this dispute on some planet between these warring factions. And it was like, wow, you know, where's the exploration of this? Where's the... You know, I mean, just one time I wanted to see something very classic Star Trek, you know, as far as, like, the original series where they're flying along and they encounter some strange, weird uh, phenomenon that they'd never encountered before. Because the original show did that. You know, they'd fly along and they'd find, like, giant space amoeba and shit like that. (laughs) And it might seem silly, but it was different, you know. It was a, a whole new concept. And we didn't really get much of that in those first two seasons so that's why i was happy to see that shakeup with three because they went into the expanse which was nothing but anomalies yeah yeah the unexplored and well somebody described it on the on the dvd extras as the bermuda triangle of space and i, I think that's brilliant i think that's a that perfectly a
1: describes concept. it
0: yeah i can't remember the name of it but uh, one of my favorite episodes came out of that uh, season was the one with the Vulcan zombies, mm-hmm. which could have been so ridiculous because when you say that Vulcan zombies, it sound, you're like, oh, God, that sounds stupid. But the way they did it in the in the logic, you know, pardon the pun, that they applied to the concept of how these Vulcans basically degenerated into just basically zombies was great. It was mm-hmm. a good old fashioned spooky haunted house kind of story. And I loved that. I thought that was one of their, their best episodes because it had a real sense of of danger and, and creepiness and suspense to it. I thought it was brilliant. Can't remember the name of that episode though. Let's see, was it Impulse? It could be
1: Impulse. Is that the that... one with the Trillium D?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. one. Is that it? Yeah, Impulse. Yeah. That is a solid episode. I really liked that one. About the only other one I can remember from, you know, prior to season three that, that really made a big impact on me. Well, was an episode that, that did fulfill that promise of the spaceflight thing was uh, First Flight.
1: Yes, where, was a great episode. Yeah,
0: fantastic episode. You know, Archer gets the bad news that his buddy from flight school days uh, had been killed. And then it just does a flashback, you know. It tells the the early days of you know the the warp tests and all that, and it had a real right stuff feeling to it. You know, they even went so far as the bar that they went and hung out in was a total homage to uh, the Happy Bottom Riding Club from the Right Stuff. You know, which was a real place. You know, that was where real test pilots back in the you know the early days of the the space program hung out. And mm. I-, I loved that. I mean, it was a real love letter to those days. And uh, I- I'm just a sucker for that sort of thing. I mean, one of my favorite TV series of all time was uh, From the Earth to the Moon, which told that whole story. So this almost felt like a chapter of something like that. Like it could be really real, you know, the the early days of space flight. And I, I got the biggest kick out of it. I wish that there had been More episodes uh, along those lines rather than your typical, you know, your typical Star Trek, which I I felt like a a lot of the early seasons of this were just standard, you know, standard Star Trek as we'd come to expect, Mm -hmm. which after 20 something seasons of it, I was ready for something new. Which I think owes into the, strain, the strangeness of the decision to set this as a prequel to begin with anyway. Because that seems like that would, almost by definition, corner you into a position where you'd have to tell standard Star Trek. And I guess really makes it seem that much ballsier that by season three they decided, alright, we need this huge epic thing. And you know that that was totally unformulaic for Star Trek. Maybe that's one of the reasons that that stands out that much more, because it really had never been done to that that degree. Because I I think it could be argued that near the ends of both DS9 and Voyager, they started to do a lot more of the overarching stories, especially like the Dominion War in DS9. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But even that, I don't think... Did they have entire... Did they ever have a storyline that was basically the entire season was one epic story? I don't
1: I don't think... Off the they, top of my head, I can't think of any.
0: Yeah, I don't think that they did. Whereas this, you know, the season three was pretty much... That whole season was devoted to that one storyline. And I think that's why it really excelled and was really uh, what it was.
1: It's just uh, some of my favorite episodes from season one I'll toss out there. Uh, I thought the first episode... Uh, Broken Bow, I thought that was very good. Um, Just kind of how it set up uh, this first meeting with the Klingons and also kind of establishing the temporal Cold War that would be overarching through most of the series. I thought that was handled really well, and I thought that it was a good start to the show. Uh, I thought that they handled introducing all the characters well, Uh, so I I think it started off strong, but like we said, I think it got formulaic uh, pretty quickly, unfortunately. The Andorian Incident and Shadows of Pajem. Yeah. Uh, which are where we see Shran for the first time. And it centers around this Vulcan monastery that uh, Shran and his uh, men are investigating because they think it's a listening post that the Vulcans are observing the Andorians. And it turns out in the end of the Andorian Incident that's true. And then we find out in uh, Shadows of Pajem... Uh, that the monastery was actually uh, destroyed and they kind of uh, take uh, to Paul to task for allowing that to happen and it was that it was nice that that early on they were kind of having continuity in there that they you know there's a pretty you know five or six episodes between the two but still that they came back to that I thought was really cool
0: yeah I, I did too that was one of those uh, that I really enjoyed and Yeah, consequences. That's what I really liked. because Jumping ahead just just for a moment, one of my absolute favorite episodes was uh, from late in season three. It was an episode called Damage. Yes. And it it was the one where, where Archer had to make a horrible decision because he had to fulfill his mission, which was literally to save the Earth. He is reluctantly forced to pirate another ship and to leave these people stranded in space
1: for three years yeah they were three years away from their planet
0: and I really would like to think that had Enterprise continued forward that we would have revisited that storyline because I would love to have seen consequences from that you know that that probably would have yeah I I would like to think so because uh, I think I thought that was a fantastic storyline right along the same lines as uh, the one that you were talking about, you know, to where there were, there were consequences uh, from the Pajem thing. I, I liked that storyline a lot. I'd kind of forgotten about that one, to be honest with you. Um, Shuttlepod 1 was a really good story, where we finally see uh, uh, Tucker and Reed start to forge a friendship, because they're thrown together in a shuttle pod that's slowly running out of gas, you know, and they're going to die they think they're going to die. That was I thought that was a pretty solid episode.
1: Very much like that uh kind of is a nice uh continuation going into season 4 with that uh three-parter with the Romulans where they're on that uh Romulan ship.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that one too.
1: Oh. Uh Coldfront where they introduce uh Daniels and that whole thing where Oh, we think he's dead. Uh, turns out, he's not, he we find out that he's not dead at the end of the season. <laughs> uh, and just further expanding on the temporal Cold War. Um, uh, Dear Doctor, which is the episode I talked about earlier, where we get basically a day in the life of Phlox. Which, you know, I I like Phlox, so I liked seeing him get a nice little spotlight on himself and kind of seeing his culture interacting with humans. I thought it was good. Uh, and then uh, going into, you know, kind of bridging the gap between Season 1 and 2, uh, Shockwave. Yeah. Uh, which, that, I can remember the end of the Season 1 with Archer in that desolated future. And I'm just like, you're ending it there? No! You're making <laughs> me wait a summer to see what happens. That's so harsh. So, that, that I really liked. Um, and further expanding on the temporal Cold War. And I think that another kind of... Uh, He's not one of my favorite recurring characters, but I think he was decently well handed was Silic, uh, the one Sulabon.
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah, I, I did like him.
1: Um, I think that's all the season one I've got. Uh, I don't know if there were any particularly bad episodes of season one that have stuck in your craw or not.
0: <laughs> oh, let's see here. I, what season is acquisition in that one? I think that's a second season episode or may, maybe it is first season. Yeah, it is. It's first, yeah, it's season. first
1: season. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> that one I hate just simply cause it's the Ferengi episode Ferengi. and yeah. <laughs> I hate the Ferengi and coupled with the fact that they have abs- absolutely no place in this timeline. Just, I doubly hate it. So yeah, that, that's really the only one that steps that jumps out at me as an absolute, wow, I can't stand that episode, but, uh, Mm-hmm. you know the it, it's you know the, the entire list is kind of hit and miss but uh that's that's the only one that I'm like wow what a horrible horrible episode moving into season 2 uh already talked about Carbon Creek and I, and honestly I mean if you if you haven't seen it or haven't seen Enterprise I, I cannot uh underemphasize what a what a awesome episode that that is i think anyway i think that oh
1: it was yeah i I love that episode i think it's one of the best ones they have um just kind of seeing the interactions of these of the vulcans when they first land on earth and how that one vulcan kind of really takes a shine to humanity and stays behind
0: that's another uh story thread that i would like to have seen them pick up at some time in in the future if they'd had time is what became of that guy because you know it's revealed at the end that he stayed behind on earth and tucker even makes a joke about it you know that you know nobody noticed after this guy died after a couple hundred years that he was an alien and and never really addresses the question she just says something about you know you asked me to tell you a story and i did and so she never really answers him at all Which really leaves that open to some great stories, you know, some some great possibilities on where that whole thing could have gone. And I would have loved to have seen them go back to that and re-examine that at some point. I think that could have been interesting.
1: I also think that's one of the funniest episodes, just like when the deer shows up and they're talking about the deer and when the one Vulcan says that he wants to get the TV fixed because I Love Lucy is on tonight, and the fact that Vulcan's <laughs> invented Velcro, <laughs> that was great.
0: Well, just, uh, There's one moment, I th- I'm not sure exactly the setup, but I think it may it may come off of a commercial break, if I remember right, where the three of them are just sitting around doing very ordinary, mundane, human being things and watching yeah. television, and just the absurdity that it's three pointy-eared aliens doing it—it it just cracked me up. It's—it's it's that you know that whole play on the fact that they are space aliens, you know, living in just this rural American town in the fifties. It—it it just works. It's just so hilarious.
1: The pool shark Vulcan was great too. <laughs> yes, A simple matter of geometry. <laughs>
0: Oh, the one guy—he uh, was complaining about having to go over and fix that woman's sink, and the, the main reason he didn't like it was uh, her her son kept calling him Mo. Yes, because <laughs> he had a, a Mo <laughs> Howard haircut. It was great. Yeah. Uh, now I'm going to be a complete hypocrite, and I just bashed um, acquisition as the as the Ferengi episode and being the primary reason I didn't like it. However, I really liked regeneration. Yes, the Borg episode, which honestly has no place in Enterprise either, but they made it work because it was a, a sequel of sorts to First Contact, where they revealed that some of the uh, some of the blowed up Borg ship from uh, from the beginning of First Contact, when they first come back in time and it's firing on uh, on Montana, and the Enterprise, you know, the uh, future Enterprise destroys it. Some of that Borg ship actually crashed on Earth and some of the Borg uh, I was going to say survived they didn't so much survive but they were like uh, frozen, frozen in the Arctic Arctic or Antarctic I can't remember wastes and they're found and when they're thought out they come back to life and start to assimilate it all over again I liked that I thought that was a clever way to bring the Borg into this time period where they honestly had no proper place yeah I, I thought it worked very well
1: because they they would have been very out of place, but just the fact that they you know drew on established continuity and were able to make it fit, and I think that kind of like with the Vulcan Zombies episode, I thought that was there was this was kind of like a horror episode for uh, this season, just how they kind of just wake up out of the snow and start assimilating people. Mm-hmm. Just that whole that was very cool, and I I, I kind of like the. Uh, when Phlox got hit by one of them and just him, you know, working to figure out some way to stave it off and just just them experiencing, you know, the the Borg firsthand and how it kind of leaves it like open-ended yeah, like, for the future of when, you know, they become prominent in the next generation era.
0: Yeah, I liked that. I, I like that they tied it all back in. I understand that they took a lot of crap for that episode. But honestly, I, I, I think it was a solid episode. I worked I think it worked very well uh, within the time frame and and with really trying hard to tell us a good Borg episode, but being mindful of the fact of, you know they, they couldn't uh, fudge the fo- the timeline either. I, I thought they did a, a very good job with a tough balancing act. Definitely. Really, my, my biggest criticism honestly for season two beyond you know what we've already said about there being just a lot of uh, substandard or a lot of just kind of retreading the same territory episodes, was that season 2 doesn't have a cliffhanger and I was disappointed by that because I thought that they had learned by now with Star Trek that you really need to have epic cliffhangers because that was one of the things that, that Next Gen did so well was they had epic cliffhangers that, that kept you you know just you couldn't wait till the new season started to see how things were going to be resolved, and I think they missed a, a golden opportunity at the end of season two to leave us all in suspense. I mean, we 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 get that nice shot of Enterprise finally flying into the expanse, which you know we've had all this build up—how dangerous it is, and you know how you know how they might not survive, and they may be lost in space, and all that. But still, I I think they needed more punch. I think something big needed to happen to to make you go, holy shit, you know, and you just had to tune in next t- season. And I, I'll, I'll go so far as to to speculate. I wonder if that had something to do with, you know, their increasing problems with ratings is that they, they didn't do that.
1: Because they might not, like, have another season. That could be an ex- explanation.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But still, I mean, if if they speculated then that they might that that might be it, that they might not have another season beyond, then wouldn't they do more of an effort to kind of wrap things up? Or I I don't know. I, yeah, I,
1: yeah. Well, I think that the beginning had the beginning had enough kick for me, so I wasn't like uh, going like screaming for a cliffhanger because I thought that the the beginning of the episode had enough kick to carry it. Mm-hmm. So. That's just me. Yeah. And I can see that.
0: No, I, I thought it was a solid episode. And I and I like the way the the episode ended, but uh I, I remember watching it and just feeling like, well, oh, I wish you know, I wish that had ended, you know, more on uh on a keeping you on the edge of your seat so you can't you know 'cause I think those really are the best season enders is where you know you're gonna spend the, the summer or the break or whatever Pondering, you know, how the heck are they going to get out of this? You know, how are they going to unborgify Captain Picard? Or
1: yeah, best of know. both worlds is like the first thing you think of when you yeah think of a Star Trek cliffhanger.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I think everything, everything they've ever done since for great season cliffhangers, you know, season-ending cliffhangers. I think they all owe back to best of both worlds. I think they've all used that as a model of how can we top it or how can we Duplicate. You know, how can we capture that lightning in a bottle again? And I think they've done some that have been extraordinary, and I think they've done some that were eh. And then I think in in this case, I think they kind of squandered the opportunity myself. But anything else in season two jump out at you?
1: Um, I liked a ceasefire. I thought that was a great episode where uh, you've got uh, Archer trying to negotiate between the Vulcans and the Andorians. And he's taking uh, Saval down to speak with Shran. And they get shot down, of course, by this faction of Andorians that are, you know, not exactly itching towards the diplomatic side like Shran is apparently open to. And I thought that was a great episode just because you get the interaction between uh, Archer and Saval. Mm. And then you also get him and Tron. So that. Two of the uh, best recurring characters on the show, I think. Uh, getting, seeing the interactions between Archer and them, and also seeing the continued relationship between the Vulcans and the Andorians.
0: Right.
1: I, I just thought it was a great episode on those counts. And then I think the only other one besides the last episode of the season I can think of is First Flight, which you already mentioned.
0: Mm hmm. Solid episode, that one. Yeah. I really dig that one. Heading into uh, to season three, what uh, well, the- what jumps out at you here? All
1: right, well, t- just to set it up, the final episode of season two. Uh, for those that might not have watched Enterprise, uh, the very the teaser of the episode before it goes to the opening credits, this probe comes out near Earth and just shoots this beam like down, you know, cutting this line right through the Earth. And we found out that 7 million people were killed by this. And uh, the Enterprise is tasked with heading into this area called the Delphic Expanse to find the race responsible for uh, attacking Earth. And the entirety of Season 3 is basically them journeying through uh, the Delphic Expanse to find uh, the Zindi who are responsible uh, for the attack. And we find out that The Zindi attacked Earth because uh, somebody told the Zindi that in 400 years, uh, the human race was going to wipe uh, the Zindi out. So they were kind of getting a preemptive strike, and they're preparing an even stronger weapon, which will just destroy the entire planet instead of just cutting a line in it. And so the Enterprise is kind of on a race against time to go into the Expanse, find the Zindi, and prevent them from launching the weapon. And this lasts throughout the entire uh, season three, and I think that, like you said earlier, there's not a whole lot of clunkers in the season. I think that by and large, it's a very, very strong season, Uh, and I think that a big part of that is just the gravity of the mission they're on, and just to an extent because all the episodes, most of the, I can maybe there were a couple, but I think pretty much all of the the episodes tie some way into uh, the Zindi mission. Right. And so they've got that tether uh, that keeps them focused and keeps them just building on the mythology because we find out that there's actually uh, six species of Zindi, one of which is extinct, and we get to see them interact with the different species of Zindi, some uh, more aggressive than others and their interaction with them and just the Continuing of their mission up until uh, the last couple of episodes, where it just keeps, where it just like keeps going and doesn't stop. Like there's a five-episode stretch there where it just keeps building and building and building until the end of the season.
0: I'll uh, I'll contradict you just a little bit on on one because my my okay. my sole complaint on episode or excuse me on season three, there is one episode that I think is a clunker and I think it. Uh, Honestly, I think it just kind of breaks up the pace is that I agree with you that this, the entire season builds one episode upon another episode upon another episode to where by the time you get toward the end, I would say right around like, say, like Azadi Prime.
1: Yes, it's very much building
0: so. toward a climax and it's getting really exciting. Big things are happening. There's a lot of danger. There's a lot of edge of your seat, nail biting adventure. And then we get E squared. And I was just like, what the fuck, that episode, it's not that it's bad, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad episode, but it's the slow everything to a crawl episode. It it totally just doesn't fit within this frantic pace that everything, all events seem to be moving at. it's, It's, honestly, it's kind of the formulaic standard Star Trek episode in the midst of all this other awesomeness. And I would advise it when you watch this, you know, if you sit down and watch this season to get that feeling, skip that episode because otherwise you're going to break up the (laughs) pace for yourself.
1: Because that's That's what happened to
0: me is I'm watching it and just thrilling to it. And it was just, it was one of these things where I sat down and watched all these episodes within a matter of just, you know, a, a couple of days of each other because I was hooked on the story. And it's just going, it's such a great clip. And then you hit that episode, and it just kind of takes the wind out of your sails. And it was like, whoa, what? what? <laughs> you know, why did yeah. he slow to a crawl for this story that really doesn't owe anything to anything? But then, right. thankfully, you know, the story picks right back up in the next episode and, and builds to that just wicked climax.
1: Yeah, you've got a point <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, especially, you know, following on the tale of Damage. You know, yes like there's, the, there's the forgotten and then there's e squared and yeah it just kind of uh, I think that I could see what they were trying to do with it just kind of like it's one of those oh you gotta do this different course of action or else you know the future will be null and void and all that but yeah it, it kind of feels like going back to that kind of just standard Star Trek episode towards the end of a season that is very kind of still retaining a lot of the star trek but still very different
0: right i'm not a big fan of those alternate timeline alternate future kind of stories because to me it's like yeah i don't know it, it's just that weirdness I, I think when you get too much of that stuff going on then you start to get a little bit of an x-men element happening in star trek where you've got you know, characters from alternate futures and alternate time. <laughs> and it just gets really kind of convoluted and silly. Yeah. And ultimately, when you get to the end of that episode, and none of what they just went through turns out to matter, and the other ship just disappears because events didn't play out the same way, historically speaking, and all that, at the end, uh, you're you're left with a feeling of, well, that was all just kind of pointless, wasn't it? Yeah. And it really just felt like, the, you know it, it was like you're flying along on the interstate 90 miles an hour and then you just you hit the brakes down to 30 because you saw a cop and then <laughs> as soon as you're past him you speed right back up again you know this this was that cop moment you know this was yeah, that okay let's down, you know and, and it really it really does uh, negatively affect that stretch It's but it, it, honestly I think that's the only uh nitpick or, or criticism I've got for the entire season because uh, man, I'm telling you Zero Hour was a great episode and it was great oh, yeah. because not only... I mean, you got the best of both worlds with that episode because not only was it the culmination of this entire story arc and it brings it to a, a an incredible and awesome climactic finish but then they pull a fast one on you and the danger's not over. We're right into the very next storyline and it's a cliffhanger and an awesome cliffhanger. I mean, it's, it's honestly, I think it's one of the best in Star Trek history. The, the, the switch up that they pull on us as the fan going, yeah, Whoa, wait a minute. What? Cause I don't want to give away the end of a Zindi thing. You know, I, I really don't want to spoil that for anybody that hasn't seen it, because I really want to tell you, you know, go out, watch it. It's freaking awesome. But I'll spoil the other half. I'll spoil the, the cliffhanger, because there's a great moment where the Enterprise can't seem to raise Earth. They're in Earth orbit, yet they can't seem to raise anybody on the uh, on the comm system. So they launch a shuttlecraft down to the planet. They're going to fly down to San Francisco, down to uh, Starfleet headquarters, and see if they can figure out what the heck's going on. And as the shuttlecraft is approaching San Fran and the uh, Golden Gate Bridge and all that, suddenly they're fired upon by all these, uh, I'm not sure what the type of aircraft is, but it's all these World War II fighter planes. And it's just one of the coolest looking Star Trek moments ever of this shuttlecraft versus these World War II fighter planes. It was just... And and the guys in the shuttlecraft have the same reaction that we as the as the viewer have of just like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> they, they don't know what is going. You know, they they realize something big is going on. Something's really wrong, but they don't know how it is or how they got there. And that's the cliffhanger. And it was just fantastic. I really got a kick out of it.
1: I'm not too hot on the storyline it, it it led into, to be honest.
0: With the with the whole uh, the Nazi thing and all
1: that, I, I thought. Yeah. That
0: I, I'll, I'll agree with you that I think that the the story itself could have played out a little bit better, but I loved the cliffhanger.
1: I, oh I, yeah, the cliffhanger so, was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. They do they do have that problem sometimes in Star Trek with you know because that's the flip side of an awesome cliffhanger is sometimes the the resolution can be a it's bit strong. A yeah. Yeah. Because uh, well, I, my understanding—I I could be wrong on this—but my understanding is that all of the cliffhangers they ever did, as far as season enders, were all done in the style of they came up with an awesome one, but they didn't have the resolution planned out when they came up with it, and it was something ah. when they came back off their break, then that's when they would—they were challenging themselves. You know, let's set them, Let's set ourselves up in this awesome situation and then see if we're clever enough to think our way out of it. And I think that's great if you're clever enough to think your way out of it. Right. Sometimes yeah. they were with something like Best of Both Worlds, which I think is, a you know, an incredibly satisfying resolution to an awesome cliffhanger. And then there's other times that you get, you know, like that one with uh, with Data and his brother and in the, in the Borg, which I thought was a shit <laughs> episode, you know, so, you know, they're, they're not all, you know, they can't all be best of both worlds, but I didn't dislike the, uh, the Nazi one.
1: You know, it, it just felt kind of, it felt like that, like, that is a great, like, potential storyline, like them ending up in this World War II era where, you know, the Nazis have invaded North America. And I like that they actually addressed, like, the historical reason why it didn't happen. Like, right. they didn't just say, oh, it just happened. Like, they addressed it that... I like that they did that, but it just... I don't know, something about aliens as Nazis just... It just... Like, like if you put an alien threat against Nazis, I gotta say that the Nazis kind of win, you know? <laughs> um, so it, it just felt... Like I don't, I don't, like, I don't have any answers. I don't know what they could have done to make it better. But for some reason, it just was kind of meh for me.
0: The one thing that would have made it really work a lot better for me is if it had been um, an actual time travel story to where they actually went back to, you know, real World War Two and interacted there, whereas the whole thing, you know, spoiler alert, but the whole thing turns out to be an alternate Nineteen forty-two, because events yeah. do play out differently, and that, that's why we have, you know, not.
1: This picks up the the temporal code war from seasons one and two, right? Kind of as a resolution to that, yeah.
0: So a- as soon as I realized that um in the second half of the story that this wasn't historically accurate World War Two, that this was an alternate timeline. I was I was let down by that. That's that's the reason for me that the resolution of the story isn't as good as the setup for the story. But I still enjoyed it because I, I liked the uh, you know the, the other half of the story with the underground freedom fighters in New York City. Yeah. You know, and the friends in their that, suits. Yeah. <laughs> well, that great big like Luca Brazzi looking gangster guy that yeah comes there. For, that guy was awesome. I don't know where I've he seen was. him before, but he's very cool. I've seen him in some gangster show or something before and he he's just a great actor. Um so yeah, I really liked uh, I liked that one a lot.
1: Well, I I I think that like I said most of the episodes are strong. Just some some that kind of a uh, spring to mind. Uh Twilight was a lot like um E squared uh because kind of like having this alternate future where you know they didn't find the weapon in time and it's where Archer can't form new memories oh yeah but that one actually worked because i think that they did a really good job of like adding the emotion to that because there's this one scene that i remember where archer's like showing this idea for like some propulsion modifications or something to trip air and uh to paul and there's like and they like kind of look at each other and archer's like oh i already talked to you about this right and he's like and uh Tucker's like yeah a few days ago but they're working fine it it just that was a really good moment I thought right where you know basically Archer he like can't keep you know he doesn't form new memories so he just remembers up to the point of where this explosion happened and he got infested with these parasites in his uh, brain and so they have to like explain to him what the situation is like every day and Eventually they had a point where he wakes up and it's like 10 years in the future or something where the Zindi have won. And, you know, there are these just like, there's like only 7,000 humans left. And they eventually end up coming with a way to fix it. And, you know, it it doesn't get brought up again because that timeline didn't happen. But because they had an emotional anchor to it, which I think worked better than having the descendants of these characters
0: interact
1: with the ship. I think that it made it a more, a better kind of that alternate future episode because you had that emotional anchor to it.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. One of my favorite episodes was uh, Similitude,
1: Oh, which was, that that was the one that I
0: messaged you about was, that's the one that kicked this whole thing off was uh, when I saw that episode and how much it it just, honestly, it affected me. It really did. That's such an incredible episode. Now that one, uh, actually, that was the only one that I, I rewatched today in preparation for this show because I really wanted to make sure that I, I had it straight in my memory. And uh, the the quick and dirty on that one is that uh, Tucker is critically injured in an accident and thrown into a coma from which he's not expected to recover or even survive. I think. Yeah. And the doctor comes up with this this idea that they can basically clone him and they can they, they can use one of his creatures you know one of his critters in his lab to create a simulation you know a, a clone essentially of trip and they can extract you know when the what, what'll happen when they do this is that the clone will rapidly age within a few days it'll die within like what is it like 15 days
1: it yeah, something just, like that a couple you know, weeks
0: it'll rapidly age and eventually die but in that time as it ages when it hits the same biological age that trip is they can extract this neural tissue out of it painlessly and put it into trip and save his life and the captain isn't crazy about the idea but you know they're on this mission which is to save the planet you know to save the earth and earth needs enterprise and enterprise needs trip So, you know, with that behind the decision, that's, you know, he makes the decision, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this. You know, he freely admits that in any other circumstances, I don't think I would do this. So they go ahead, they do it, they create the clone, and it starts out, you know, just like a regular human being. You know, it's a fetus, and then a couple of hours later, it's a baby, and then a couple of days later, it's a young man, and eventually it grows into... You know, a character that looks exactly like Trip and is the same age as Trip. And by the time it gets there, it's a human being. And it realizes over the course of the story the predicament that it's in and and what it faces. And what comes out in the course of the story is not only is this thing going to die within two weeks like they knew. But now there's an added twist of when they do this procedure, which they must do pretty quick or it'll be too late when they do it, the Sim will not survive. That'll It'll actually be fatal to the clone. Which is something they didn't know when they made the decision to do this. So it adds in another moral conundrum. And, you know, the clone itself thinks like a regular person. It thinks it's Trip, basically. And is faced with this decision of, you know, do I do the thing that I was born to do? You know, the thing that I was created and made to do? Or do I be selfish and, and try to save my own life, even though he's only got days left to live anyway. And this is Star Trek at its finest. Mm-hmm. You know, an exam, you know, an examination of the human condition and the and the tough moral dilemmas that we as human beings face and the, and the tough choices that we sometimes have to make. And man, did this episode really speak to me. I liked this one a lot. It's more than just simply you know I, I think it'd be easy to look at this episode and go okay well this is the episode that's talking about the relevant social quandary of the day about cloning and and stem, stem cells. cells that's it stem cells and all that but it's so much more than that it, it it's a touching episode it's uh it's dramatic there's a lot of tension and uh i, I just think it's it's fantastic I think that uh it, it really knocked itself out and You know, if if there was one moment in the history of this show where they got it, they totally captured Star Trek,
1: this was it. Mm hmm, definitely. I I rewatched this episode a bunch of times, and it's the one that I remembered most clearly. Thinking about Enterprise before I went back and rewatched a lot of it, I could probably, you know, (laughs) be able to tell the general storyline of the episode even though i hadn't seen the show in years because it just hit me like a ton of bricks when i first watched it and re it again and again and i think that you know just how they handled it with this guy oh we have to clone and you know we'll be able to harmlessly you know remove this tissue and then he'll be able to live out the rest of his short life and everything will be okay and then you know towards the end of the episode they throw in the twist that no it's going to die and by this point you know it's an actual person that's the that's the the question of the episode is, you know, what? who is Trip? Is, is Trip, you know, this human? And only this human is Trip. Uh, this clone is, you know, this clone equal, equally have the right to claim, you know, that it is Trip, even though it's this clone that was, you know, sitting in a, a jar of fluid a couple days earlier. And just, you know, seeing him age and grow and the interaction of the crew with him and him... You know, basically being one of the crew, and then Archer having to ask this, uh, you know, of him to basically allow himself to die to save, you know, the real Trip. And it's just kind of like the, it's almost father and son, the re- relationship that grows between Archer and Trip, the, the clone yeah. of Trip, yeah. over the time. Because one, one of the really nice touches is that they have, uh, when the clone is still a kid, they have Archer and him flying the ship, this uh toy ship, and it's just like when uh, at the end of the very first episode, Archer and his father were flying this yeah. toy ship. I-, I love that touch, and you know, just the decision of Archer, like when he was still like this child, to you know show him, you know, Trip's body and tell him that it was a clone, and him dealing with that. Uh, it- it's just a powerful episode, and also just uh, how it advances the whole. A romantic intrigue between Trip and T'Pol, which is something that they really focused on with this season, uh, along with the Zindi. You know, focusing on the romance between Trip and T'Pol, uh, and that got a. It was a really kind of turning point moment in this episode. Even though it was a clone, uh, for that relationship, it was a turning point.
0: Yeah, I liked that a lot. That that uh, revelations and things that happen in this episode between. The clone and to Paul uh, facilitate things that would happen later on between the real trip and to I I, th- I thought that that was nice, you know, an, an, a nice uh, bit of world building there, a bit of story building and continuity.
1: And Connor Trenier just killed this episode.
0: Oh, his, absolutely! His acting was amazing. Absolutely, he was fantastic. I, I I often wonder, you know, if this show got nominated for anything, you know, Emmy wise or anything like that, because it sure deserved to be. It, it yeah. deserves to be more recognized than than whatever it was recognized for or or failed to be recognized for. Um, anything else in uh, in season three jump out at you?
1: Um, well, I think Carpenter Street was probably the anti Carbon Creek, where they have to go back in time to two thousand four. Stop oh yeah,
0: How did I forget about that one? Yeah, that's a good one too.
1: Well, actually, actually, I called it the anti Carbon Creek because I didn't <laughs> really groove on that one.
0: Oh, okay. I I liked it only in the aspect of they were coming back to basically modern day, and yeah. sometimes that works really well, like say Star Trek Four or. Uh, you know, in the '60s, on the, you know the original series, they did that once or twice, and then there's other times where I don't think it works all that well. Like uh, there was an episode of Voyager that I thought was a little clunky when they came back to modern day. But this this particular one, I got a kick out of it. It wasn't it wasn't a fantastic episode, which was probably why I didn't remember it all that well. But there there were elements of it that I really got a kick out of, like uh, Archer and T'Pol stealing a truck and learning to drive. I thought was a, I got it, a kick out of that.
1: That, yeah the archer and paul moments i thought were great like when they're at the drive-thru <laughs> that was great <laughs> just just the idea of the these two guys from you know the the future and especially to being a vulcan in this drive-thru trying to you know and uh to asking you know what's on the salad you know that that, that was great i think that the <laughs> You know, the Archer to DePaul interaction, I think, was probably the highlight of that episode. And it it did have some good moments, but overall, it's not one of my favorites. But uh, like we were talking about earlier, I think that just that, that string of episodes towards the end, with the exception of uh, E2, that's just like as good as the show gets.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, along those lines... Um I think uh, as fantastic. I-, I think that they kept a lot of the momentum and a lot of the synergy and everything going in Season 4. But I don't think it's quite as strong as Season 3 as, as far as the overarching story aspect goes. To a certain degree, yeah. they went right back to-, to one-offs or shorter arcs rather than telling one massive story. Was there anything else in uh, in Season 3?
1: Really the, the one thing that sticks at me, like I said earlier, just uh, Archer really just shined throughout this whole season just because of all the decisions he had to make to save the Earth, basically, and how they weighed on him. Uh, damage, like you brought up, that was probably... That's one of my favorite moments of Archer in the entire series is him having to come to this decision to basically... You know, raid the ship and leave them stranded because you know they, they need to get their warp back online and because they need to save Earth. And you know, even though this goes against you know what Archer thinks is right, he has to do it. And uh, they they do like you know give them food and give them some extra supplies, but still it, it's a morally you know pretty much wrong thing to do. But Archer, you know, he decides that it's what needs to be done, and he makes a lot of those decisions throughout the season and i think it really did a lot to build his character of him having to go through this and deal with all these decisions weighing on him
0: yeah it's one of my favorite uh scott Bakula moments of the entire series when they're just about to get away with their raiding mission that you know he's already having a tough time doing to begin with and then they get confronted by the captain of the alien ship who who i I had the feeling like him and Archer were actually on their way to be, you know, to forging a friendship yeah. during the time that they spent together, like they really liked each other and everything. You know, similar to his relationship with Sh- with Shran. And the guy confronts him and just says, "Yo, why are you doing this to us? You know, do you not realize that, you know, you're you're going to strand us 3 years from home? Why?" And I really like Scott Bakula's acting in that moment and he just he looks anguished and he says because i don't have a choice and i loved that i i think that's a great piece of acting on his on his part because you can tell this decision is killing him inside yeah and he knows that he's crossing a line that he never ever dreamed of of having to cross but he literally doesn't if he wants to save the earth he doesn't have a choice and wow what what great science fiction, you know? What, yeah. what great drama! It it really is fantastic stuff.
1: Yeah, this whole season is a great example of science fiction. I think, and I think if that if you if you watch any season of Enterprise, it's got to be this one.
0: Oh, it's, absolutely!
1: Yeah, this is a show at its at its best. I,
0: I would say that it'll it'll hook you. I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm I'm really really hoping right now that that we're reaching two specific audiences with this episode. I'm hoping we're reaching, of course, the people that, that already are familiar with the show and really are fans and really enjoy it and that they love or at least, you know, like what we're doing with this and, and appreciate what we're trying to do. But more importantly, the people I re- really want to reach is people that are either on the fence or outright dismissive of Enterprise. Oh, that show sucks. Yeah. Or or yeah, I never I didn't have any interest. Because that was me. You know the mm-hmm. only reason I did this the only reason I went back and took a look back at Enterprise was that Star Trek essentially original Star Trek is now over you know we're we're in a rebooted continuity now that, that I believe will go forward and I don't think any of the original stuff's ever going to be revisited I I, I could be wrong and I'm, I hope I am pleasantly surprised by that but I got to realizing you know I've I've seen everything there is to do with Kirk and Spock I've seen all of Next Gen all of DS9 all of Voyager why not watch Enterprise? you know I'm not crazy about it wasn't really interested, but what the hell it's there and it's something I'd never seen so I should watch it. So I sat down and watched it and was so pleasantly surprised by how wrong I was that yes, the first two seasons are extremely clunky, but you get to that third season and it will suck you right in. If you're a star if you consider yourself a Star Trek fan, and I don't. I would say, regardless of what Star Trek you're a fan of, whether it's Kirk, whether it's Picard, whether it's DS9, you're going to find something in that third season that's going to suck you in. I will. I will almost guarantee it because it, I don't. I just don't see how you can't. It's solid Star mm-hmm. Trek. It's solid storytelling, and uh, and it's just
1: solid TV. Period.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a hell of a compelling story and it really clicks and it's got a satisfying conclusion and uh and it runs the gamut you know there there are heartwarming touching stories there are scare the shit out of you stories there's just pure flat out adventure and blowing shit up stories it's got everything it's got something for everybody and uh believe me i no one's more surprised than me by by my being a cheerleader for this show but i really am i by the time I was done watching this series, I firmly consider myself a fan. I was won over. I think it's solid. I really, really do. And that's even with some of the problems that, that still, you know, I'm not blind to the things that still exist. You know, I'd, the, the theme, not only was I never that crazy about it, but then it gets worse. That's the That was the funny thing to discover <laughs> is they changed the theme for season three and... And it was worse than the one that they had. I was like, whoa. <laughs> you were supposed to go the other way, guys. You know, not, not make it worse. But uh, Well, I think that wraps us up on Season 3. Um, yep. Moving into Season 4, really for me, I mean, I, I think it was solid. I really enjoyed it. But the first one that, that really jumps out at me is about, honestly, about halfway through the season, which was uh, Babel 1. Mm-hmm. I really liked that one a lot because it owed back very heavily to, uh, to journey to Babel, which was a classic Star Trek episode, which most of the, the story with that one concerned a conflict between the Andorians and the Tellarites. And that was pretty much the same sort of thing that was going on with that episode and and sort of with the, with the storyline in general that was going on in the season was, uh, you know the formation you know we 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 began we began to see the uh you know them laying the groundwork for the formation of what would eventually become the united federation of planets and seeing them you know old rivalries between these alien races and stuff you know surfacing but also them trying to uh come to terms with each other so that they could join together and i liked mm-hmm. that uh, you know that that to me was going back to season 1 and and starting to get back on track with that story of seeing the early days of starfleet and the early days of you know pre-kirk and how we got to kirk's era and i liked that i liked that they seemed to realize that okay you know we we did our big you know earth-shaking world-threatening storyline now let's get back to basics and I think, it, I think it worked. I think it was really going along in a great direction with what they were doing in that fourth season.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes, Yeah uh, stories of season four, because, uh, of course, Shran uh, plays heavily in there, and I think he's awesome. So, of course, I love him being so prominent uh, and also continuing uh, his relationship with Archer, them having to engage in that hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also that relationship that he had with uh one of his uh crewmates uh that with Shron as well um and, and like you said with the groundwork being laid for the united federation of planets as well uh, i i think it's you know the, a lot of the season is these two and three part episodes and i think that is probably the best three-parter i would say mm-hmm. of the season uh, the the one with Soong is uh, very close behind, I think, because that one was another really solid one that was just really enjoyable uh, to see, and is was another one that played into Star Trek continuity yeah. as well. Um, but that one, uh, just seeing more of the, you know, Archer trying to uh, negotiate peace, you know, between the Tellarites and the Andorians, and know seeing the Romulans get into it it's 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 a very epic story although it's only three episodes I think it it, it's able to pack a lot of great moments into those three episodes
0: absolutely absolutely I uh I I like this entire season and I think the only down spot for me is I'm I'm not sure how many chapters it was I want to say it may have been three chapters was the Vulcan story yeah. I didn't care for that. I understand why they did it, because they were addressing fan concerns with the way that Vulcans have been portrayed and, and certain things like that. I appreciate what they were going for, but I think that story arc is the weak link in this season, and it just wasn't that compelling to me personally. But once you get beyond that, you know, like you say, we've got the story with uh, with Soong and the augments and all which I really liked.
1: I feel the same way about the Vulcan one, too. That oh, it good. just it didn't do a lot for me either. So you're not alone on that.
0: Well, good. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the the only one on that one. Really, Actually, I thought
1: that uh, Home after the season premiere, I thought that was a good episode because um, it, it's a one off, but they deal with a lot of things. They deal with Archer's feelings, you know, after saving the Earth and coming back, and him dealing with saval you've got uh tucker and Zapal having to you know dancing around their feelings for each other and then you kind of have just just a little bit you have flocks kind of dealing with this new wave of xenophobia which is on earth and i thought yeah. that they each handled those individual stories really well and just it just kind of going off of season three just continued to develop these characters
0: That one reminded me of one of my very favorite episodes of Next Gen, which was um, Family, which was the episode right after Best of Both Worlds, where Picard went back to France and uh, Worf's parents came aboard the Enterprise and all that. That's a solid episode where there's no bad guy, you know. They don't have to fight anything. There's no mystery to solve or anything. It was just a solid episode about family, and I liked that. And yeah, Home. I, I'm surprised I skipped that one because that uh, I, I got much the same feeling out of that one. It was it was everybody coming to terms with the events that they had just lived through, and, and tough decisions that had been made, and and the change that had happened in all of them. I, yeah, that is a good one. That that was a really solid episode. I'm going to skip ahead to wow this one is such a mix of emotions for me is the two-parter In a Mirror Darkly Mm -hmm. I wow I mean I saw this this was uh... I came back to Enterprise when it was originally airing just for this one right at (laughs) the end because it had been advertised I was watching something one night on television and they showed a commercial for this episode and it showed Archer dressed in that wraparound Kirk style green shirt from you know the original Star Trek and standing in what looked like Kirk's quarters on the original um. Enterprise and I was just like oh my god I've got to see that and I love this two-parter because it is such a love letter to the original star trek you know we've Mm -hmm. you know there there's so many elements in this you know we've got a sequel of sorts to the tholian web which is one of my absolute favorite episodes you know we get to see what you know it finally answers that 40 year old question what happened to the defiant you know we get to see it and we get to you know walk those halls again and everything it was fantastic but then there's so many other things that, that go on in there. You know, it's, it's also a prequel or sequel um, to uh, the Mirror Mirror episode of the original Star Trek in the fact that they're in the Mirror Universe again. Um, we get to see the Tholians again. And not only do we get to see them, I mean, we get to see them. for the Really, for the first time, we get a full body shot of a Tholian. And that's just... I mean, as as an old-school Star Trek fan, that was big shit to me. That was like, oh, (laughs) that's awesome. We uh, we get to see the captain fight a Gorn. Mm.
1: You know,
0: again, totally awesome. And it was just a hell of a lot of fun. And probably the biggest thing for me, as just a big old classic Star Trek geek, was seeing them finally being able to show, with modern technology and, and modern special effects... How the original series ships would have kicked ass, you know, yeah. if they'd had the technology back then to do, you know, great special effects, because there's an awesome sequence in I, it must be part two, where the Federation or rather the uh, the Empire, you know, the uh, the other ships that are you know f- of the uh, Enterpri- the evil Enterprises class, are engaged in this big space battle. And suddenly the Defiant streaks in, looking very much like Kirk's original Enterprise. Phasers blasting. And, you know, they used all the original sound effects and, you know, got as much of the look and feel and everything right. So here it is, this very 60s looking ship fighting, you know, modern CGI models. But they totally pulled it off. It looks Mm -hmm. awesome. And they made that ship kick ass. You know, it's blowing chunks out of the other ships and, you know, shooting photon torpedoes and oh, what a geek out, man. I I, (laughs) I loved it. I just got such a kick out of that.
1: That's one thing, the things I love too because something that, you know, I thought of when I was watching it was well, you know, it's kind of weird because this is a prequel yet this is a much more you know, detailed and high-tech ship than what is in the original series and it's kind of like, well, that's kind of you know kind of weird. And, you know I, I mean I know why they did it, but still it, it was kind of weird. And then you get to this one where you get an original series ship just coming and just blow everything up. like it, it's just like completely overpowering like anything it faces. and it, it was awesome.
0: It was awesome. That. it really was. Cause on the uh, on the extras, um, one of the uh, behind the scenes people, said that one of the biggest concerns that they had was when they go to the Defiant and you've got them going from, you know, you've got uh, Archer and his people going from the Enterprise, essentially, you know, the, the existing Enterprise of the series, you know, with all its more or less modern look of almost like a space submarine. And suddenly you're going to this ship that's essentially the bridge of the original enterprise from the original series with all its 60s cheesiness and you know the fact that it was made on a shoestring budget in the 60s would it just look silly you know would it look completely cheesy and ridiculous or could they pull it off and he said that in the course of doing the episode they suddenly realized that the 60s look of it And the sleekness and the way it was designed actually totally worked. That it did look like they had made some sort of step upwards, design-wise, rather than some step backwards into silliness. And I I agree completely. I think the episode works. I I mean, maybe it's just my original series prejudice, but I think it does. I think it does look like they've gone from what they were flying... To suddenly they're on something that's completely futuristic and really uh, technically advanced from where they were. I don't think it looks silly or, or retro at all. I, I I really get a kick out of that episode.
1: Yeah, I thought it worked too. You know, I'm with you. I think this is one of my favorite episodes of season four too. One thing I love is that they changed the opening credits and the ending yes. music. That was brilliant. You know, it starts off all normal, and then suddenly the Star Trek Enterprise turns black. And you get these different, you know, you still get the history lesson, quote-unquote, that goes through the opening credits. But now it's filled with all these scenes of war and explosions and violence, which totally fits with the mirror universe of the, you know, Empire. I thought that was just brilliant. You know, that's just a little detail, but the fact that they looked at that and saw that they could change it was was great. It is great. I I,
0: I loved it because they finally put a, a score to that opening sequence, but it's very dark, you know? It's, yes. My understanding is they wanted to do it so that it felt like, you know, you were a viewer of In the Mirror Universe watching a Mirror Universe Enterprise episode. <laughs> and it totally works for that, you know? It really does yeah. because for that two-part episode, we're not dealing with archer and his crew as we know them from the rest of the series i mean it, it completely happens in the mirror universe without any of the, the regular characters we're seeing completely you know their counterparts in this other universe and i think that's neat i think that that was yeah. a really nice idea that they could do two-part episode without any of the regular characters
1: in it i think that one of the reasons it works so well is because over four seasons You've been, you know, watching these characters and you've liked these characters because, you know, for the most part, they're very likable people. And then you completely turn on these, their, the heads and all these once likable people are complete scumbags. And it's such a culture shock, you know, seeing, you know, like Flocks become this, like, mad doctor type guy when he's got this, you know, upbeat personality and, you know, seeing uh, Trip all scarred up and... Yeah. Hope she being this total manipulative bitch, basically. And, and one of the things I loved is Archer, when he, you know, he's just this commander, he's not even a captain, and, you know, he takes, you know, the ship by force, and as soon as he f- finds out about the Archer of the other universe, and th- you've got that Archer on his shoulder, like, mocking him, basically, uh, about how he feels inferior to this other version of himself and i thought i love that aspect to it
0: yeah well you know chris and i uh, chris honeywell and i right now we're talking about the mirror universe in our regular star trek monthly monday episodes and one of the things that we had speculated while we were talking about that was that I don't personally consider the mirror universe necessarily like the, the, the evil universe. Cause I, I often uh-huh. hear it portrayed that way that everybody that lives there is an exact mirror opposite of the way that they are in our, you know, so, you know, a, a good person is evil in that universe. I don't see it that way so much as they're a, a dark reflection of, mm-hmm. you know, the regular universe. And so one of the things that speaking of Archer, like you, like you were that, really clicked for me at the end of the episode, the way that this one resolves and I don't want to spoil anything Yeah, was that we, I think it completely makes sense because we saw in the end, Archer's not so much you know, the, the trick with him is that he's not so much the evil uh, duplicate of regular Archer, is that he's the lacking self-confidence, unsure of himself, not so smart in the end archer that's his opposite quality yeah and i love that you know because he you know the the regular archer is is very for the most part very sure of himself very confident uh carries himself with a certain bearing and everything and a certain demeanor and is able to achieve what he wants whereas this other guy is frustrated at almost every turn and can't ever seem to gain the following and the confidence of the of the people around him, whether it's his subordinates or his superiors, and I loved that 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 was his opposite quality rather than just being oh he's evil you know he's evil Archer, which I think would be just kind of you know the easy way out. There's there's layers yeah. to that portrayal or, or uh, portrayal. I mean, and it's I, not I thought, just
1: a one-dimensional villain.
0: No, not at all. Not he's at got, all.
1: I actually thought into his characteristics and the kind of person he is in this mirror universe
0: i loved that i I thought that that was really solid unfortunately that's
1: that's a high point the the oh
0: absolutely and yeah you you hit it on the head what you know that's what i was going to lead into is the the really (laughs) unfortunate part of that being the high point is uh again watching the extras on this there's a, a thing that they reveal in there Archer, Evil Archer, or whatever you want to call it, Opposite Archer, Mirror Archer, delivers this speech after they have seized control of the Defiant. And they're going to go basically do some some kicking ass. And he gives this really rousing, stirring speech to the troops. Well, it was revealed in this uh, supplement section that as soon as that sequence was concluded being filmed was when they let the cast and crew know that the series had been canceled. And I was like, Oh my, I mean, can you get any more ironic, you know, (laughs) that here we were, the series honestly had just achieved greatness. I mean, really, I feel like this was the moment that they really, this is when they hit it, you know, that this was now solidly in the, in the camp of being a, a truly great show And really going somewhere. And boom, the axe falls. And I equate it to, you know, imagine if, you know, at the conclusion of Best of Both Worlds, if the next gen cast had been informed, you know, well, you know, we've got four more episodes and that's it. You know, that that, the show's a wrap or... You know after uh, I don't know like the way of the warrior on DS9 or something like that you know at, at whatever point that you feel like TNG or DS9 or Voyager really hit their stride imagine that being it and they've only got a handful of episodes left after that because the axe fell and that's what happened to this show I mean it it really happened at just a horrible time yeah and it's, it's just that's such an ultimate irony to me and it really makes me feel bad now that I didn't Stick with the show that I wasn't more faithful because it's one of those things where you kind of beat yourself <laughs> up, going, "You know, what, what did I contribute to this?" You know, yeah. Uh, and I feel really sad that uh, that this is all we ever got because even after knowing that was it, I think they still delivered on the on the shows. You know, Demons and uh, and Terra Prime was a two parter uh, with Peter Weller as the bad guy dealing with uh, this fanatic who is. I'm not sure if there was supposed to be parallels there to something like uh, I don't know like the KKK or something but you know it was basically uh, he was the leader of like a, a xenophobic movement who was trying to uh force non-humans out of our solar system. I I found that a very compelling story. I thought it was uh it was really good. And again, we saw the...
1: Yeah, I wish I, re- I could remember that one because that does sound like a great episode. It
0: was good. It was really good. And that was a cool episode because the conclusion of that one, he ends up, through his machinations, bringing about the very thing that he was trying to prevent, which was the laying of the groundwork for the uh, the, the Constitution or whatever for the the United Federation of Planets. And that was a really solid episode. And also one of the most moving moments of of the entire series because uh, the subplot in that one is that he had somehow acquired the DNA of both Trip and Tapal and had, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a clone or what exactly, but he had had made a, a child from their DNA. So this was like the first human Vulcan hybrid. And there was a whole subplot and a whole story with that that just broke my heart. It was oh, it was really, you know, really wrenching the way that that story resolves in the end.
1: Yeah, that seems like a combination of all the, and Paul, that had been going on with the series.
0: Yeah. Well, it's that leads into the final episode.
1: These. What are you, are the, what are you talking about? It isn't that to part of the last of the series. I don't think there are any episodes after, are there?
0: Yeah, there's one last episode. That was uh These Are The Voyages was the very last episode.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Which one are you talking about?
1: I'm being facetious, my friend.
0: Oh, I I wish. I wish. <laughs> I wish I was wrong. I wish that there was a whole bunch more after that. I wish they'd gotten at least one more season. <laughs> But, I,
1: I I wish that it just ended with that two part. <laughs> you know,
0: you're you're right because uh, uh, I, I rewatched because again, you know, I I watched this first run and uh, I think lacking the perspective of having seen the entire series, I kind of just walked away from it, going, Man, that was okay." But now we're having
1: yeah
0: rewatched it, you know, and and seeing the entire series as a whole and having the perspective now. I understand exactly what the the complaints were about that episode because it's really not an Enterprise episode. So nope. much as a, it's an addendum to an, an episode of Next Generation, and I think that's a cheat. I think it's a cheat both to the fans, but I think it's also a cheat to all the talented people that worked on Enterprise.
1: Yeah, you know, I was reading up on. Uh wikipedia uh, because i remember when i first saw that episode i got i I was so pissed off at that episode but reading it up on wikipedia apparently a lot of the cast were like yeah this is garbage (laughs) when it came out um which which i don't blame them for because if i had been somebody who worked on that show for four years i would have felt completely hosed yeah that that was the final episode yeah
0: well, it would, it would have been the equivalent of, you know, in, in Next Gen's last episode, if, it, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and those guys had come in to wrap their series up. I think the fans would have been just as pissed about that. I, I, I think even as a fan of classic star trek i would have felt a little bit pissed if you know they had stepped in to close out next gen so yeah i think it's i think it's very unfair for it to go that way i I think i understand what they were going for i just don't think that it worked
1: no not at all
0: but also the the thing that that hit me this time uh, again now with the proper perspective of having seen the entire series was that um the thing with uh you know the the affair the the romance whatever you want to call it between to paul and uh and tucker wow is that just kind of sidelined in this it, it's it's almost yeah. like a footnote because this episode takes place six years into the future of where they were at because it's basically this is a series finale for if the series had gone 10 years
1: Yeah, because it's basically the the Enterprise is getting decommissioned.
0: Right. And through the whole episode, I kept waiting for something to happen between the two of them. And the moment that they have is pretty much where she says something to him like, do you ever miss me or something like that? And we find out that shortly after... Terra Prime and the episode, you know, that dealt with their child and, and everything and where they were coming to terms with their romance. And the way that episode even ends leads you to believe that there better times are coming for these characters, you know, that, that they are now firmly together. And then to get to this last episode and find out that shortly after that, no, they, they stopped seeing each other and, and that was it, that they only ever just worked together after that. Wow, what a letdown, you know, and and not only was it a letdown, but I didn't buy it. I didn't buy that he would just, after everything that they had gone through to be with each other, that, that either one of them would just walk away from their relationship and no reason was ever given you know they never said anything like you know i never got over this event that happened in terra prime or you know i just discovered that you know maybe we ought to just be friends or nothing at all was to my mind anyway was given as a rational explanation for why would they have stopped their relationship so i was really disappointed from that angle cuz i like yeah, I think that's it part of going.
1: the whole TNG shadow like there there is so much time that could have been devoted to the Enterprise cast and giving them the send-off they deserve that is just, you know, filled in with all these TNG characters, which, I mean, you know, TNG was a great show. You know, I'm not taking oh, anything away from TNG, but they we didn't need the TNG characters there. I mean, you know, having Brett Spinner come on as Eric Soon is a different thing from, you know, having the whole final episode basically being a holodeck simulation.
0: Right. Right, yeah, it, it is vastly different, you're right. And the it, bastards it,
1: killed Trip.
0: It, yeah, that was the big thing for me, and and all that, that's the big reason why um, I was going to ask you if you have read any of the relaunch novels, because it's my understanding that the very first one basically undoes most of the, the damage, for lack of a better term, that was done in this final episode, because right off the bat, Trip's not dead... And there's there's some other things that are different too. I've read this somewhere. I don't know Wikipedia or somewhere. Yeah, I have too. Yeah, that it basically picks up where it wants to pick up, rather than picks up strictly following. These are the voyages, which I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Have you read that book or any of those? No, I haven't.
1: I I, I haven't. I'm trying. I I give that guy credit for doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because I mean, it's it's not like he even gets like a, a memorable death. Even though we knew Drega for only a handful of episodes, like, his death was more meaningful than Tripp's. Yeah, you're right. Even though we knew Tripp longer, I mean, it's not like he had... I mean, sure, he saved, you know, the captain and maybe the ship. I don't know, but it's not like he was going up against, like, some really worthy foe. It was just like these guys that they had outsmarted to, you know, save uh, Sharan's child. And it's not like he even got, like, a memorable send-off. It's not like he even got, like... Like, like think back to Similitude, where, you know, they had that whole, you know, funeral bit for uh, Sim. Right. And just, like, all that, you know, that was paid to him. And I can't remember Trip getting... I don't think... Uh, I only watched this episode yesterday, and I can't remember. I can't remember it as clearly as I want to which is bugging me but I'm pretty sure that they didn't really give Trip like a worthy send off no which is is a shame because I think he was easily one of the best characters on the show he you know with his relationship with T'Pol he went on the best character arcs of the show and you know I, I know it's the final episode of the show but he deserves more than that more than they gave him
0: absolutely yeah I was I was very disappointed in that because there's no emotion involved to it no. and we we've seen in star trek before that we can have characters die inglorious deaths like uh like tasha yar mm-hmm. died a very you know just a, a common you know she was just you know hosed by an enemy yet there was time in that episode to to give her a, a, a sentimental send-off that that packed an emotional punch at least i think so and we don't get that with Trip. I mean, not only does he die unspectacularly in my opinion, but also yeah. then there's no emotion. I mean, I should I should have felt like shit when he died. I should have been like, oh man, and, and it really be a punch in the gut. And it's really just another thing that happens in a in a fairly substandard episode. And that's that's a shame because
1: yeah, I should wow, be I would... should be crying instead of ready yeah. to bash my TV in with exactly. a crowbar or something
0: exactly there should have been some some sentiment attached to it because he had been such a solid and realistic character through the entire series you should have felt something for him and they just they they totally failed to elicit any emotion at all yeah that's that's sad it really is
1: yeah and uh, I, I I've heard that they were still playing to Kill him off, even if it had gotten the fifth season. And if that is true, I hope that they had devised a better death than that. At least, I hope they didn't just transplant it.
0: Well, I hope that they would have had a, a, a back door for bringing him back had they done that. Yeah, because I, I think he's one of the. I think he was always one of the most popular characters of the series. So you know, if they oh, yeah, had managed. You yeah. need
1: him for Enterprise to work, I think.
0: Yeah. If they had killed him off in the fifth season, if they wanted to go to a sixth, then they would have had to come up with a way to bring him <laughs> back, I think, because uh, that could have been the series killer right there. Yeah. Well, lastly, my my last thought on this was also another bittersweet uh, realization today as I was making my notes. You know, this is the only uh, Star Trek series that never got comic books.
1: No, I don't think they did.
0: No. Oh, that's really sad, too. Because,
1: uh, that AIDW, would... DW do something. Yeah, I'd I'll love buy it. it.
0: Oh, I would, I would totally do that. If they, if they could continue the series in, in comic form, I would totally be into that.
1: Yeah, I'd buy them. I would. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I think that they, you know, uh, the first two seasons were bumpy and, you know, I think they had a good thing, a good idea with the Temporal Cold War, but I don't think they did enough with it. And then Season 3 was just phenomenal, and Season 4 was, you know, great as well, and they really hit the stride, and it's a shame that it was just too little, too late for them to keep the show going, because I think that if they had, you know, they hopefully would have kept the great streak that they had going, and yeah. we would have gotten a lot of great episodes, because I really think that, you know, it, it's just a shame that it got cancelled, because, you know, when it, when it finally reached its potential, it was great
0: yes absolutely they at least they went out you know bar you know accepting the uh the very last episode i think they yeah. went out on an extreme high note which is nice yeah but still it would have been nice to see where they might have gone because whew, they sure were headed in a great direction they they sure had finally gotten it together and and were delivering solid star trek and uh yeah i i was really i was surprised by my own emotions when i got to the end how how affected i was that damn that's it it's done and oh it was just getting good you know so yeah yeah i felt really i felt really hard hit by that but uh, i like your idea about idw I, I i pray to god that somebody at idw listens to this show and and maybe gets the yeah. the idea to uh to look into enterprise as a property to, to publish. And also maybe they could even potentially, you know, what what, this dream star Trek project that I've had forever, the, the, the dream thing that I would love to see done. And I think IDW comics would be a great place to pull this off is, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor who fan or, or versed on doctor who or anything, but one thing I am aware of in doctor who that i always thought is a really cool idea that i'd love to see star trek steal sometime was they <laughs> had a, i don't know if it's a movie or an episode or what but there was something called the five doctors yes where all the different incarnations of of who got together for one adventure i would love to see something like the five captains mm-hmm. like a star yeah. trek adventure that throws together you know kirk picard cisco uh janeway and archer in one big adventure god i would love to see that so yeah (laughs) idw i hope you're listening i want to see that give me that that would be cool because there was that rumor for the longest time that uh chef was going to turn out to be william shatner oh really (laughs) and i don't know how exactly that was going to play out i don't know if he was going to turn out to be kirk or a kirk but that could have been interesting, and you know they ended up making it, you know Riker and the whole holodeck thing. But that that got me. I was thinking about that today. You know, when I when I was thinking back on that whole thing that they were trying to get Shatner for Chef, I got to thinking. God, I'd like to see. I'd still like to see some sort of crossover team up type of thing because I'm just I like that sort of thing anyway.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a geek you know thing come true when. You know, you get all the characters... like just like in Doctor Who, like with Star Trek, getting all these characters from different eras that were in these different incarnations of the show in one place. It's it's just a geek type of thing that you want to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what you think, man?
1: I think that Enterprise. I think it's underrated, and I think that a lot of people, you know, like we said, the first two seasons. Yeah, they're not that great, but I think that seasons three and four show that this really had a lot of potential and you know even though it got canceled you know we still got these two season three and four we still got these two great seasons that showed how great this show could be and i think that there are fans of trek out there that kind of give it the cold shoulder and don't really you know want to pay it any mind or just outright dismiss it i think you should check it out because i think it, it gets unfairly bashed absolutely uh, which, I think it's a shame.
0: I would say, uh, you know, utilize your Netflix. Yeah. Rent, rent the DVD or whatever and uh, do like I did. When you watch it on DVD, when you get past that teaser, just hit the next button. Skip. You It'll skip you perfectly right over the opening credits if that's what bugs yeah. you so much about the show. Don't
1: have to and, watch
0: it. Yeah. Watch that third season. Definitely. I guarantee you're going to find something to enjoy in there because that Zindi storyline is... Frickin phenomenal! It really is good, good stuff.
1: So doesn't get much better.
0: Oh no, not, not at all. And <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, I'm now struggling to try to find something to, to fill my my viewing void now that I've finished this because uh, I, I want I wanted it to keep going so bad. <laughs> I'm struggling to find something that's in that same vein that's going to scratch that itch for me. And uh, and so far I haven't liked. Check out much. Babylon Five. Uh, I don't know man I've got uh <laughs> i i I've, I'm considering it but I've had a long-standing prejudice against that show but i, I might have to I might have to check that out because I, I need something.
1: that's my all-time favorite TV show so it's got my stamp of approval
0: <laughs> Chris thank you so much for joining me in this episode man it's it's been a blast and
1: uh oh yeah i, I you know it's it's been years since I've uh watched enterprise you know basically since it stopped airing and it it was great to we watch you know a lot of the old episodes and relive some of those moments and these characters that i hadn't seen in a long time so it, it was great coming back to the show
0: i really appreciate you joining me for it and uh let's get together and uh and talk some more star trek soon because this was fun i i i love i love episodes just like this just the the free form shooting the shit about something that that we uh, are really fond of so i uh, really appreciate you joining me
1: oh well anytime i always love coming on here
0: Visit our website at two true freaks Two true is spelled t w o t r u e f r e a k s dot libsyn, which is l i b s y n dot com. You can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. You can find me Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S C O T T. A R D N E R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. start saving your quarters It's almost here Tron coming soon to two true freeze